And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us this word, your word, which is forever settled in heaven, which cannot be broken. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to give us the ability from the reading and studying your word, what we can do as your sons and daughters, and how to stand by faith on your word so that we as the body of Christ will learn how to walk not only in divine health, but whenever the enemy does come upon one of us and put a symptom or something upon us, we will learn how to overcome him so we'll have to give no place to the enemy so we can overcome all these afflictions because you told us many are the afflictions of the righteous, but you deliver us out of them all. So, Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask you to give us the knowledge and the wisdom and the revelation and the understanding from the word of God how to fight the good fight of faith and how we may walk in everything you provided. Now, Lord, today, as we read the word and as we discuss the word, I ask you to build people's faith in your word because you said you sent forth your word and healed them. So I ask you to heal everybody that needs a healing and those that are just here to learn how these things work. I ask you to teach them and reveal to them the truth of your mighty word and your mighty promises that you've made us. And we thank you for these promises. Now, Satan, I rebuke you because I have power over you in the name of Jesus. And I command every evil spirit to leave this place and to not steal a single word out of anybody's mind or heart today. And Father, thank you for using the Holy Spirit to teach us and reveal these things to us so that we may not sin against you. And thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all come on in. Come on in. Praise the Lord. We're going to get started here. I'm going to start off with just a few promises to start off with. Uh, As we get started here, I'm going to uh, quote to you a few of these faith-building promises. We're going to take a few minutes to do this. And as we get more and more people come in, then we're going to, I'm going to, I want you to be thinking if you have a testimony. I want you to be thinking about how you're going to give this testimony. Because if you've got one that the Lord has revealed some wonderful things to you, I want you to get up here and give a testimony because you'll be amazed at what how testimonies will help people to realize how they can stand on the Word of God and how they can stand in strong on these mighty promises in God's mighty Word. And a lot of people have read these promises in God's Word, but since they've only read them, and they've never seen anybody operate in these things, they don't really believe that they're true. And so uh, we have some people here that has examples like that, that knew the Word of God, had read this, but had never really believed they could really work until they heard me talk about some of these things and how I walked in these things. And and when that happened, men grabbed a hold of it like this and said, hey, this is it, this is for me, and praise God. And they believed then. And that was the instrument that broke them through, and uh, they've received tremendous miracles. Some of those are here today. So we're going to be giving those uh, testimonies here in just in a few minutes. To start off with today, <clears throat> I want you to think about what the Word of God says that you can do if you have faith in God, and what you can't do if you have doubt in the Word of God. So I want to start off with Matthew 14, and as you... Think about Matthew chapter 14. This is a tremendous story about where it takes great faith because in this story in Matthew 14, starting with verse 24, uh, Jesus is coming walking on the water. 
Now then, I, I don't know if there's any of you in here today that have walked on water lately, but none of you. Has anybody walked on water lately? No, nobody in here. Nobody's holding up their hand. So we must be... Do what? Well, no, I haven't walked on water either. Oh, now I take that back. I have walked on water, but it was frozen. <laughs> this man told me a story the other night. He said a man bit me. He said I was getting my faith up so high, and he was talking about walking on water, and the guy said, Didn't nobody walk on water. And he said, I happen to remember it was wintertime, and the, the, the pond outside was froze over, and I told the guy, I said, I can walk on water. I'm a man of great faith. He said, I bet you $5 you can't walk on water. He said, all right, I'll take the bet. Now, number one, he shouldn't have bet, you see. He shouldn't have bet. But he said, I guarantee I can walk on water. So he said, we walked outside. The guy went with me, and we walked out, and there was that pond. And I just walked right out. And the guy said, you cheated. He said, that's water. And he said, I'm walking on it. So that's kind of helps. That makes it a little easier for us to walk on water when it's frozen, doesn't it? It sure does. And sometimes that's the way it works. In other things, it makes it a little easier for us to receive our healing when we have a little help from somebody else, like a doctor or whatever. For most of us, that makes it easier uh, until we get to one of those places where the devil's involved and you can't, the doctor can't do anything for you. Then it's between you and God. And that's where so many people miss it. Uh, in fact, before I go on any further in the story of Matthew 14, I went over to pray for a lady uh, a man went with me and we drove a long ways and this woman was a great Christian Baptist woman she had written a couple books and everything else but being in a Baptist church she didn't know anything about healing and so she was technically on her deathbed and we went over there and I explained to her that night how to fight the good fight of faith and who the enemy is and what he was doing and so I, I literally stayed at her house with this other man until probably 1 o'clock in the morning, teaching her the Word of God, because she was very critical. I re convinced her who the enemy was. Well, I rebuked the devil and commanded him to get his hands off of this woman, and she started immediately feeling better. She said, oh, I feel so good, but I said, now, ma'am, don't go by your feeling. Go by it is written, because I said, if you step back into the realm of feeling, the devil will come back, and you'll lose this. And so... We left there, and I guess it must have, I told her, she said, where are you staying tonight? And I told her, I said, well, we stopped and got a room down here at a certain hotel because I said, there's no way I can drive all them hours back tonight after spending all this time with you. So I said, we're going to stay at a hotel, and she won't know what hotel we were staying in, and I, I gave her the name. Well, I left there at 1 o'clock, and it was only about 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning when the phone rang in the hotel room. And I answered it. I mean, I was really tired, but I answered the call. And uh, she told me who it was. And she said, I want you to know that I have never felt so good as I felt this night. She said, the devil, he tried everything to come back upon me. And she said, I now know who the beast is. And so anyway, she had a real encounter with the devil, but she could not wait. I mean, she called me. It must not have been but about five. Wow. I mean, I was, I mean, I was zonked out, you know I mean? Uh, you know, I don't get a lot of sleep anyway, but, you know, when you do sleep, you need to sleep. And so I was really, really uh, tired that night after being up and after driving all the way across the whole country. Hours we drove, to, uh, many hours. And then uh, we had that lady, uh, it was a tremendous battle that we're fighting against this enemy. 
And this beast has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. And whenever you begin to see how he operates and see the power you have over him, you will fight your fight of faith. So anyway, uh, one thing too, I might tell you right here that uh, uh, this, this is July, August, September. Two healing schools from now out here at Justin, uh, the 24th or the 25th, whatever it is of the month of what? What? Any? 25th and 26th. Okay, 25th is Saturday. We're going to have a precious lady by the name of Emily Dobson. She's going to come down here, and she's going to give her testimony, and she has an intensive testimony that's so powerful about how the devil had beat up on her so many years of her life, and how she'd had 13 surgeries before, by the time she was 53 years old. How many of you know Emily Dobson? Anybody ever heard of her? Well, there's one, only a very few. Okay. But if you ever heard a powerful testimony about a woman. Now, I'm, I'm guessing Emily's 70 by now. I don't know. I may be wrong, but I think she's up there somewhere. But anyway, she learned how to fight her fight of faith. She overcome the devil. Of course, after 13 surgeries and then lupus, which is terminal, uh, she was able to fight the battle, but it took her a year. And after a year, she beat the devil, and she's been completely, totally healed ever since and had no more surgeries. So, that's what faith can do when you learn how to fight the fight of faith. But in Matthew 14, uh, Peter, he had been, he asked the Lord, Lord, if that's really you, let me come to you on the water. So the Lord said, well, come on. So he gave him a word. He could walk on water, Matthew 14. And as all of you know, if you've read that scripture, you find out that in just a few minutes, the enemy had showed up. Now, I don't care what realm you're in, the enemy will always show up to put a knot on your arm or whatever to make the circumstances look bad. He will always show up. Now, even in the tangible lake that they were in there, the devil showed up to increase the wave and the winds and everything else because he knew he was going to be in trouble if Peter continued to walk on that water. Because here's what happens. When you get one man walking on the water and all those other men which have no faith are sitting there watching one man walk on the water... What happens after you look for a few minutes and one man's out there walking on the water? And you said, he told him to come out there. So then you go and holler at Lord, let me come too. And he says, come on. So when the second one gets out there and he starts walking on the water, and then another turns around and says, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And then you got three and then four and then twelve. Now when you get twelve men walking on water, the devil's in big trouble. And he knows that. And that's what happens when people come to a healing school and learn God's Word and people start getting healed. They start going back to their churches and everywhere else start telling people, hey, listen to what Jesus did for me. And, of course, some of them even in your church will say, oh, that's okay. You know, it, it's, just, uh, it, it, it's just one of those things. You know, you wasn't really sick or, you know, it didn't really happen or just a coincidence. But, you know, some of them will believe. And some of them will believe your testimony. And if they believe your testimony, you know, they will start saying, hey, I know this person or that person or whatever, and this really worked, yeah. And especially when they know you and you've been in that church for so many years. I don't know whether I'm having a little trouble here. I hope not. This thing feels strange in my head. I'll put it back up here a little higher. Uh, it's amazing you have to wear all this stuff you have to wear. But anyway, when people start seeing you and you're healed or you've been delivered or whatever and your life's totally transformed, you need to tell people what God's done for you. And as you tell people what God's done for you, then 
it's going to build their faith in the Word of God, and that's wonderful things are going to happen. So that's what you need to do. But anyway, uh, if, if the more of us, and of course what we're beginning to understand, just like in our little ministry, when I first got started, I thought, well, just one man, you know, one little recorder, I can make a few tapes, and, and I'll send these out and give them out, and it'll inspire a few people, and I'll get a few people healed, and everything will go great. Well, first thing you know, you know, more people, more demand for tapes, and everything else and I'm buying more and more equipment thinking oh goodness Lord where am I going to get all the money and to buy all this stuff I need but all of a sudden it was there and I'd buy the equipment and we'd make more tapes more tapes more tapes and now then I stand amazed you know that we just built a 3600 square foot building just a year ago and looks like uh, unless something happens that I don't know that we're going to have to put at least 4,000 more on it here within the next six months you know, we just, we're building all the time. And we're, we're, and we used to send out a handful of tapes. Now we're sending them out by the thousands. You know, every week, you know, we're buying anywhere from one to two thousand dollars worth of blank tapes and sending them out. Sometimes we spend two or three thousand dollars in a week. So anyway, they're sending these things all over the world and the praise reports are coming back in all the time. So it's amazing what God is doing. So, but faith, as this message gets out, uh, it's amazing how it touches the lives of people. And, of course, people, they get their lives get changed, and then they tell people, well, you know, people will come and learn how this works, and then they'll go back to their church and, and see the Lord do great and mighty things. But in uh, after Peter walked on the water, he walked on the water until doubt came into his heart. Now, here's the secret you've got to learn right here. Peter had a word from God he could walk on water. So he stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. Well, the devil showed up. Well, you can be assured in your case, the devil will always show up. When the devil shows up, if he can deceive you like he did Peter, because what people have to do is keep their eyes concentrated and their hearing on the Word and not your symptoms. Because the very minute you go to your symptoms, you'll be just exactly like Peter was here. He was walking on water until he looked at the winds and the waves. Now, the devil was stirring that up. There's no two ways about it. And when he took his eyes off the Word, which is Jesus, and looked at that, it says he's now walking on the water in the middle of a stormy sea. So walking on water in the middle of a stormy sea, he begins to look at the circumstances, and now that all of a sudden that fear the devil's penetrating his brain with begins to get through to him, and immediately when the fear begins to come in, it starts driving the faith out. So when the faith goes out and the fear comes in, what happened to Peter? He started sinking in the water. And of course, he cried out to Jesus. He said, Lord, save me. Well, the Lord walked over there. Now, he's a man. He's walking on the water. We only got two men walking on water. He goes out there and he reaches down and he picks up Peter by the hand and pulls him back up on top of the water. And in th verse 31... It says, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now see, that's what happens to us. We're people of little faith. And never did Peter had little faith and he walked on the water. wonder what we could do if we had great faith. We could do some wonderful things, couldn't we, Joel? I mean, we can do some, you can do some wonderful things with little faith. All you need is just a little. You can do some wonderful things. 
But then let's go a little further. We see here in Matthew 21, 21. Matthew 21, 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith, now this is what you need, if you have faith. Now, I'm going to tell you the biggest word in the Word of God is only two tiny little characters. If. I-F. If you believe, nothing shall be impossible with you. Only believe and you shall see the glory of God. If you have faith. What does it say in Matthew 21, 21? If you have faith and not only have faith, but you not only need to know the Word of God, which is what faith is, knowing and having it hidden in your heart, not in your head, because sense knowledge faith will never produce miracles. Sense knowledge faith, I've come to realize that many people, many people have a lot of scriptures hidden in their head, have them memorized. I mean, I've run into pastors and had a large portion of the Word of God memorized, but they never saw a miracle in their life. It had never made the little tiny short trip from here to here. When the Word of God becomes a reality to you and your spirit, you'll start acting on the Word. When your spirit starts driving you, you will act on the Word of God. When you act on the Word of God, it will change the way you do business. Now, you can talk about it. You can preach about it. You can scream about it from the pulpit. You can do all kinds of things. It will have no impact on you until it becomes changes from sense knowledge to revelation faith. When the Word of God becomes revelation faith to you, then it will totally change the way you do business. Now then, the Lord says right here, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done and all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. That's a pretty awesome statement from the king of the universe to a mere little man and woman like you and me, the young lady. He gave you a blank check there, didn't he? So isn't that amazing what you can do? Now then, if you have faith and doubt not, uh, since we're right here, I said we're going to take a few testimonies as we go along here. I believe right here would be a wonderful place for Laura to tell us what the Lord did for her. Would you tell us, if you have faith and doubt not, since you come, you come out of a Baptist background, didn't you? Church of Christ. Oh, Church of Christ. Okay, well, that's, <laughs> that's, even, harder. that's even harder. I want Laura to tell us what happened and how she, her husband has studied the Word of God and how it never worked for her for all these years. Okay. He's a Baptist. Oh, he's a Baptist. I right. am now, too. But uh, I met uh, Thurman in uh, Big Sandy at a Bible conference. And I had always read uh, in the Bible where it said if we laid on hands, we get healed. And I've always thought, well, it says it in the Bible. Why can't we do it? Well, nobody, I, I mean, as many times as I went to church, I never heard anybody talk about that. Well, I heard Thurman talk about it. And Joel and I felt like that was why we went to that. We live in Louisiana. And we drove about five hours to go to that conference. And we knew that God sent us there for him because he was there. And uh, he, uh, after he spoke two days, he was healing, uh, laying his hands on people. And, and uh, through him, Jesus was healing them. Amen. And uh, anyway, uh, so I thought, and he said, the more we can stay away from the doctors, 
the better off we are. And I've always thought that, but I'd been on thyroid medication since I was in my 20s. And uh, it was almost time for me to go get it renewed. So I told Thurman, I said, I said it's almost time for me to go back to the doctors. So I said, you've got to heal me so I, don't, I can stay away from the doctors. So he laid his hands on me and prayed for me. Uh, we went back to the motel room. I threw my thyroid medicine away. That was in the, about the first of week of May. I haven't had it since. I've had all kinds of energy. Uh, the devil, I guess about two weeks ago, made me real tired for about two or three days, but I kept uh, repeating the word and, and about how Jesus healed me with his stripes. And, uh, it, I mean, I'm back up to my, my energy again. And, I mean, it's just been such a blessing. I just praise God for you. Amen. For the King. Yes, yeah, for, for him too, but for yes. Thurman to teach us all this. I mean, it really works. It's wonderful. Now then, that just goes to show you when the Word of God clearly says that if you have faith and doubt not. Now, of course, now, Joel and Laura had come from Church of Christ and Baptist backgrounds, and they had read these promises, and they knew them. But they wondered why they wouldn't work for them. They wondered why in church preachers didn't talk about these things. And so Laura even told me when her and Joel met with us here of, of last month, she said, I had tried. I'd see those phones said, I'm going to try this and see if this works. I'm going, to, I'm going to come off of my medication and I'm going to try this and see if it works. How many of you know you don't try anything in the kingdom of God? What did he say? You have to have faith and what? Doubt. Not now. You think he really means that, young lady? You think the king really means that? That's what he said, isn't it? And since he said it, then we're responsible to him and his word. Well, what was Laura doing? She was trying it, see. And she set her medication aside, and in a week, she said, "I was immobile. I couldn't go. I mean, I just, I just couldn't go. I just have to start taking my medication again." But when she heard me speak it and talk about these mighty things. She said, that man, what he's saying is written in the Word. If it worked for him, it's going to work for me. Now then, her faith is mountain high. And they only heard me teach a, a couple of times, an hour, hour and a half. So she said, we're going back to the hotel, and I'm throwing that stuff away. I don't need it no more. So I'm not going to try this this time. I'm going to throw it away. Now then, a little woman that says she'd try to get off her medication, and a week later, she's immobile. She can't do nothing. Has no energy, can't even do nothing. A vegetable, virtually, she says. She said, I threw that stuff away knowing it was mine because God made me the promise in his word. And then, of course, uh, I guess it was May, June, July, August, or June, May, June. Anyway, a couple months later, whatever it was, when I finally met with him here for the first time, her husband, Joel, he said, used to, I had no problem keeping up with it. But he said, now then, I'm having to take vitamins to keep up with my wife. <laughs> I mean... The power of God in faith lit your fire, didn't it? Totally changed your life. Now, if Jesus made us these promises, who are these promises for? All of us. Me. That's the way you should say. Me. They're for me. They're personal to me, right? And to you. And when you say that, you've got to realize that Jesus saying here, if you have faith, you can put your name there, can't you? If you have faith, if you have faith... And doubt not. Now that's the part that's difficult. Doubt not, because when you'd first get off of your medication, Laura, when you'd get off of that and the devil would start putting those symptoms upon you that you're getting weaker, you yielded to those. I mean, see, your faith was not very high. And you said, well, honey, this doesn't appear to be working for me. 
I mean, this is not working. Well, the devil will say, you know that don't work because if these things worked, your preacher would be preaching these things. See, he knows they don't work, so what do you think you are? And see, you yield to that beast. He's done a good job on us. You know what? Yeah. Praise the Lord. But Jesus said, if you have faith, you shall say unto the mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And all things, not a few things, all things, whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now, how many things? You All things. Now, does that mean all things are going to happen instantly? No. It may take time for them to happen. But, but now, another thing, too, you need to know that these things will not work for you if you're living in some kind of sin. You know, if you've got sin in your life, you've got unforgiveness toward a brother or a sister, or you've been lying or stealing or cheating or doing all kinds of things. In other words, if you're living in the world, if you're living in the world, these things will not work for you. You have to have make sure that every sin is confessed and you're walking holy before God. Now, is that possible? Well, some people say it's impossible for me to be holy before God. Well, that's obviously not true because he said, Be ye holy because I am holy. If the Lord told us to be holy, then he told us to go and sin no more. And Paul told us over and over, Shall we sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. If we've died to sin, how therein can we sin anymore? If you died to sin, can you sin anymore? No, you cannot. So what should we do? We should all, as the body of Christ, we should die to sin and live in holiness and righteousness, and then these things will work for us. So then when we come to the Lord with no sin, and I've come to realize one of the major sins in the church today is the sin of unbelief. We just don't believe that God's promises are for you and me. But when we believe they are for us, then we repent of our unbelief and we get healed. So praise the Lord, or get whatever we ask the Lord for. So anyway, Matthew twenty-one twenty-one, he says, And all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And you got yours, didn't you, Lord? Praise the King. That's right. Now, Mark eleven twenty-three, For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Again, this is another one of those magnificent promises that goes so far as to say we can have what we say. Now, lots of people today do not believe we can have what we say with our mouth. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus said this. Jesus is the one that made this statement to you and me, and he said, you shall have whatsoever you say with your mouth. Now, does that mean good or bad? Yes, it does. Good or bad. You can absolutely speak a curse upon your body, upon your children, upon your mate. That's just like the other day when I was up in Baltimore teaching the Word of God. We were talking about the power of the tongue. This pastor and I, the senior pastor of this church that invited me up there, we went out to dinner one afternoon and uh, uh, have a salad, and we were out there eating that salad, and we were talking about the power of the tongue. He said, Thurman, you talk about the power of the tongue almost more than any pastor I've ever heard in my life. But he said, I want to tell you, I went on a mission trip a couple of years ago with a couple of men, and we went down in some country, and he said, we had a car, 
and we were going up a tremendous mountain trail back up to where we was going to preach and he said one of the men said one thing about it if this car quits at least we can coast down this hill backwards there wasn't no place to turn around but he said, if it, he said it would, wouldn't it be terrible for that to happen to have to coast all the way down this hill with the brakes on backwards but he said at least if the engine quits we can coast all the way back down where we started backwards and he said, we hadn't gone 50 yards so that car could stop running. 50 yards. Now, what did that man do? He spoke a curse over that thing. You know, you have to be careful what you say with your mouth. Make sure whatever you say is what you want. Because it's very, very, very easy to step into the realm of unbelief with your tongue. And unfortunately, I go there too many times myself. As much as I know about the Word of God, which is not near as much as I want to know, I still step into those realms of undoubt and belief, unbelief far too much. So hide the Word in your heart and realize that whatever you say with your mouth, you're going to have it. That doesn't mean that if you say it one time, it'll happen. But if you say it over and over, it will happen. And I just don't, I couldn't tell you how many people I've known and you may have known that they walk in, like I walked in here, this 70-year-old woman, just a beautiful woman. I walked into a church one day and I come to, I actually was going to be an interim pastor there for a couple of Sundays. And I said, well, ma'am, how are you doing today? I introduced myself to her and she said, well, I'm doing real great, but my arthritis is sure hurting me today. I said, your arthritis? She said, yes. Look at my hands. I have arthritis in my hands. I said, ma'am, don't you know that comes from the devil and that's not you? That's not yours? Well, she, she said, what? I never heard anybody say that. I said, arthritis don't come from God. I said, you're a child of the king. I said, that comes from the devil. And every time you say that, you're opening the door worse and worse for him to attack you. And I begin to show her some of these promises. She said, Mister, I've been in church ever since I was a child, and I've never never heard nobody say this. I said, Well, ma'am, I'm just repeating what Jesus said. Is that what he said? She said, That's what he said. I said, So why don't you rebuke it and command it to go away and say, Devil, you take your arthritis away, and I don't have it no more in the name of Jesus. Well, that day I preached on faith for an hour and a half at that Baptist church, and the next Sunday, and I preached that evening, same thing, uh, and then the next Sunday when I come back, I walked in and there was that same lady. I said, how are you doing today? She said, praise God, I'm doing good. And she said, that arthritis is gone. I give it back to the devil where it's supposed to be. <laughs> I thought this one Sunday changed that woman's life forever. Isn't that amazing? All this time she's claiming her arthritis, not realizing it comes from the enemy. It's amazing how we just receive from the enemy his stuff. and But you don't want that. But what did the Lord say you can do there? If you have no doubt in your heart, but shall believe that those things which you say shall come to pass, you shall have whatsoever you say. So make sure you say what you want, right? I mean, you know, I learned these principles a few years ago, and there was a woman come up to me one time, and she said, I want you to pray for my son. She said, he is the worst kid you can ever imagine. And he's in prison, and I tell you what, I told him when he was growing up, if he didn't straighten his act up, he'd probably be on drugs and in jail by the time he was 21. She said, that's exactly what happened. 
I said, ma'am, I'm going to tell you why he's in jail and in prison. She said, why? I said, because of you. She said, what? I said, yes, ma'am. You put him there. She said, I told him. What he, I said, ma'am, that's what you was doing. You was telling him. You was saying it over and over and over, and you opened the door. Uh, she said, sir, I don't believe that. So I took her to these scriptures. I said, look what the Lord says you'll have, whatever you say. She, looked, she said, well, he couldn't mean that. I said, well, then what do you think he meant? <laughs> and she said, well, I guess I never looked at it like that. So she said, what can I do? I said, repent. Tell the Lord you're sorry you spoke a curse over your son. I said, tell him that you didn't know these things. And then start saying what you want. Start saying, Lord, I thank you that that son of mine is the best boy that ever was born on this earth. Thank you that he's a preacher. And he's a good one. And Lord, thank you that he's a fine man of God. And I mean, just I said, say all that over and over and over and over. It wasn't but two or three years later, I saw that woman. And she was just hysterically happy. She said, a year after I started saying those things, my son got out of jail. She said, my son come home. And for some reason, he said, mother... I don't know why, but I feel like I need to go to church. And he said, my son started going to church, and the first thing you know, he got saved. Then he went off to seminary, and now then my boy is already out there. He said, he's still going to seminary, but said, he's preaching the Word of God. She said, he's going to be the best preacher there ever was. I said, ma'am, you're saying the right thing. Now, isn't that amazing? Totally changed that boy's life because that mother had spoke him into jail, and now she'd spoke him out of jail. So what did the Lord say you could have? Whatever you say with your mouth. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? So, you need to start saying what you want. And and uh, let's go on then in verse uh, 25 of that scripture right there. This, this verse, Mark 11, 23, 24, is a powerful set of verses. But then in verse 25 and 26, he tells us why one of the reasons these things will not work for you. Now, first of all, you must be walking in love and forgiveness for the Word of God to work for you. Because if you've got an unforgiveness or you're not walking in love, then God's Word will not work for you. You can't speak it because Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 says, Your faith worketh through or by love. So the attributes of God is love. So if you don't walk in love, they will not work for you. So make sure that you're walking there. Because the confirmation of that is in verse 25. And Jesus, after he made that powerful statement in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, he said in verse 25, And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Verse 26, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So now then, if you do not forgive everybody from your heart, everybody, are you in trouble? Yes, you're in trouble. Because if God does not forgive you, what are you going to get from Him? Nothing. And did you realize also that you and I today, as sons and daughters of God, if we do not forgive from our heart, everybody, everybody, the Lord has a zero tolerance for unforgiveness. Zero. Not a little here and a little there, but zero. He says, you must forgive them all. In fact, he says, not only will he not forgive you, though therefore he won't answer your prayer, but he also goes a little further in Matthew eighteen twenty-one through 35, and he goes so far as to tell you he will turn you over to the tormenting spirits. In other words, God will turn you over to the devil. Let me just make it clear. 
And that's what he says. If God turns you over to the devil, what do you think the devil come to do? Steal, kill, and to destroy. It's just like last night. There's a precious lady come to Bible study last night, and she had said that we had prayed for her, and she was getting better, but she couldn't understand why she wasn't receiving her full healing. She had Lyme's disease. And so she said she remembered hearing me say, Ask the Lord. There's something there. Ask the Lord what I've done wrong. So she said, I started asking the Lord. Lord, is there something I have done that keeps me from receiving my full healing? And she said, he reminded me of someone years and years and years ago I had a little grudge against. And she said, I thought, Lord, surely that couldn't be keeping me from receiving my healing. But she said, I immediately repented. And she said, when I repented, it was no time to my healing was full blown. And she said, I am now completely free of Lyme's disease. I mean, Dave, when you, when you get a full healing from the Lord and you've had it all these years, I forget how many years this woman said you'd have it, 10 or 12? 18. That's right. Thank you, honey. 18 years she said she'd had that problem and she just thought it was something that she had to live with. Because, you know, Lyme's disease is not curable. The doctors can't cure it. So when you get it, it's just something you live with until you die, and usually it brings forth an early death. So a little tiny sin of unforgiveness was keeping her from receiving her healing. But did the Lord say there, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you? That's what he said. So you want to be forgiven? Yes, yes me too. You want to walk in divine health? Yes, so you have no alternatives, right? You've got to walk in love. So if you do that, that, it, that'll make the Word of God work for you. Then in uh, John ten twenty four, then came the Jews round about to him and said unto him, How long shalt thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Look at Jesus' answer. It's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus answered him, said, I told you, and you believe not. How many people do you tell today that Jesus is the Christ and they don't believe you? Multitudes of them. I, huh? Uh, John 10, 24 and 25? Is that not what he says? Am I in the wrong place? Am I right? Yeah. Okay, John 10, 24 and 25. Jesus answered and said, I told you and you believe not. Then he says, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now, Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles today and still many do not believe. All you have to do to receive from God is believe. Now then, let's think about this. I went to a, a fairly large ministry organization here a while back to speak. And that's where you all heard me. But anyway, I went to this big ministry and I spoke to a few thousand people. I have never, ever, ever, ever come under such attack with what I said, but yet everything I said was direct references from the King James Bible. And I had doctors of theology and pastors of big churches that came against me and even wrote letters. And so for the next three days, me and the man that was in charge of this large ministry, we sat in his office hours every day trying to write rebuttals about what these people said. And after, I think it was Thursday afternoon or Friday morning, I told him, I said, look, that's it. I'm not writing anymore. I'm not trying to convince nobody of nothing. I am not going to waste my time doing this anymore. I said, i got one question to ask. How many people, those guys that wrote those letters... And saying what I'm saying is a lie. How many of those men ever get anybody healed? He said, they don't get nobody healed. 
I said, how many people have you seen healed in your own office that I prayed for you when you called me on the telephone? He said, four. I said, so if God healed four there, and I said, I don't even know how many he's healed here since I've been praying for people, but numerous ones. I said, people's lives are being transformed and changed with what I'm teaching, and if what I'm teaching is a lie, then who is it that's healing all these people? And he said, well, that, I said, so I ain't answering no more. I said, I don't care who these guys are. I don't care if they got PhDs behind their names. I don't care if they're the pastor of the biggest church in the country. I don't care if they're Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, or what they are. I'm going to quote the Word of God for just exactly like it's written. And if Jesus is showing up, or somebody is showing up to heal all these people, and it's certainly not me, I'm not doing it. I said, if he's showing up to heal these people, then one of the two of us groups must one of us must be right and one of us must be wrong. And so I said, if those guys are not getting anybody healed and Jesus is doing all these wonderful things when I pray standing on his word, I said, I'm not even going to write them again. I said, over. I'm not, I'm not even going to talk to them. And so that's, what, that's the decision I finally made. So you come to me and say, don't you know Jesus don't know those, do those things anymore? I said, well, if you don't believe, he's definitely not doing those kind of things. So if you want to see him do what I see him do, you've got to start believing you got to start saying, if Jesus said it, hey, I believe it. And, of course, it really don't make any difference I believe it or not. If Jesus said it, that settles it. You know, make it, well, you believe it, I believe it, or whatever. If Jesus said it, it's done. So that's all I do. I just stand on, it is written, and let him do all the rest. So, after all, he is the king of the universe. Then he says here in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, now, in Mark 4, of course, that's a tremendous uh, story right there. The men are out on the Sea of Galilee again. And uh, the, all the storms and everything are coming along and the wind's blowing and all this stuff. And uh, they cried out to the Lord, Lord, save us. And he gets up and rebukes the winds and the waves. Now, think about what Jesus did. If Jesus can get up and rebuke the winds and the waves and they become peaceful and calm... Then he says in there in verse 40, Mark 4, 40, he said, And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I, I used to read that, and I said, Lord, you're saying to them, if they had had faith, they could have spoke to the winds and the waves. They could have commanded them to stop. Why is it you're so fearful? In other words, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you speak to the winds and the waves? If you had faith like I do, you, I'm just a man. I lay my deity down, and I'm just a man, and I'm speaking to the winds and the waves. And if the winds and the waves obey me, why is it you're so fearful? In other words, why don't you speak to it, and it'll obey you? And you stop and think about that, and the devil will immediately, when you start thinking about that, he say, Now, you don't really think you are mere men. You know, I mean, after all, you just a lousy little old woman. You couldn't do nothing like that, girl. Who do you think you are? See, you ever heard that voice? Yeah, you just like me. He said, you just a lousy, stinking little old guy. I mean, you ain't nobody. You're just a piece of dust. You know God ain't going to let you do no mighty things like that. Guess who I'd believe? The devil. Instead of the promises of God. He's done a good number on me for a long time. Good number. But you don't have to let him go there, do you? No, you do not. You do not have to let him go there. How is it that you have no faith? Well, if you have no faith, what can you do with no faith? Nothing. That's exactly right. 
we read a little earlier, if you have faith and doubt not, what can you do? Anything. I like that, don't you? And after all, that was only Jesus telling us that. Now, if that had been some crazy guy like me who wrote this book, you wouldn't believe me, would you? No, absolutely not, because I'm fleshing. But the king wrote the book to his children, right? The king of the universe wrote this book, folks. This is not something, I'm, I'm not saying that. It's just like one day I was in the cafeteria, and I made some statements at lunch. Somebody asked me some questions, and I made some statements. And, of course, later that afternoon, I was called to the head office by HR. Thurman Scrivener, will you come, please come to so-and-so's office? And I heard the voice. I knew who it was, and I thought, uh-oh, HR wants me in the director's office. I wonder what I've done wrong now. <laughs> so I thought, better run by the cafeteria, get me a cup of tea, because I'm probably going to be up there for a little while. So I went and got me a cup of tea, and I walked into, in, from the cafeteria into the director's office, and there they were, HR and everything. I sat down and said, how can I help you all? And they said, well, Thurman, you're getting us in trouble. You've offended some people in the cafeteria, and you're a manager, so you're not supposed to do this. I said, what did I do? They said, well, you said something that offended some people. I said, I did. What did I say? So they come to us and said, you said, and of course they people of all nationalities and religions and everything else working there, there's thousand people working there. They said, you said that if you didn't believe in Jesus, you'd go, you would go to hell when you died. And you can't say things like that. I said, I didn't say that. Said, what do you mean? They said, you said that. I said, no, no, I was just repeating what Jesus said. <laughs> Jesus is the one who said that. So I thought I'm on pretty safe ground if I just repeat what Jesus said. And so both those people professed to be Christians. My boss, the director, he was not a very strong Baptist at the time. But he did say... He knew I was a great engineer, and I'd done great and awesome miracles for them and had saved them so many thousands of dollars when I came there. It blew him away at my knowledge of my job. He said, Thurman, you're dismissed. You can go back to work. I said, thank you. And so I got up and walked out. And, of course, that man, my walk with God has totally changed that man's life. That man is going to church. He's taking his wife to church. A man hardly ever went to church. It has totally transformed his life. And one of the little ladies that was in uh, the company there, uh, she was all about HR also, local HR within the building. And when I'd come in her office and start talking about Jesus, I said, you can't talk about this religious stuff. I don't believe this stuff. Well, the other day, I believe it was the other day when Cheryl and I went to a funeral of a wife of a friend of mine, and this girl was there. She came up and hugged me, and she told Thurman, since you left the company, I have got gloriously saved. And she said, whatever you do, don't stop teaching what you teach. She said, God has totally transformed and changed my life. Now, here's a little girl, a little woman, a young woman. Of course, she was married, and, and I don't know, I'm saying she's probably maybe 40, 38 or 40. But she was so bold against me for this religious stuff, but I just walked in there and tell her. And I prayed for her. I rebuked the devil over her. I did all kinds of things. And I'd be walking down the hall every once in a while. I'd come to her. And I'd look at her right now. I'd say, you know, you're saved and don't know it. Thurman, you can't talk about this religious stuff in the workplace. I said, next time I walk down, I'd look at her right now. And she said, don't you say that to me. And then I'd walk right up to her. You know, you're saved and you don't know it. Thurman. And then when she got saved... The other day she run up and grabbed me and hugged me and said, Thurman, whatever you do, don't quit preaching. It has changed my life forever. 
Now see, that's what that's the that's the part you want to hear, right, Joel? You know that when you get saved, it changes your life forever. You can't never be the same. But when you get a hold of who you are in Christ, it will totally change your life too. And when you begin to get a hold of these promises that Jesus made you, and you start standing on them, you will become a bold person for the kingdom of God. You will no longer be that normal little person out here that never talks about Jesus. You will be bold as a lion. You will be wanting to pray for people. You will be walking up into workplaces just like I have all these years. You will see somebody that said, I don't feel good today. I'm sick and I'm dead. You say, hey, you got all your sins confessed? Well, what do you mean? You got any sins? Oh, yeah, I sin all day, every day. Why don't you confess them to God? Why? You want to get healed? Well, of course I want to get well. You a Christian? Yes. Confess your sins. Well, okay, okay. And then after they say, okay, God, forgive me of my sins, and they may not be willing to name them in your presence, you said, Jesus says to me to lay hands on you and he'll heal you. What? What? I never heard of no such thing like that. Well, you hadn't read the Bible, have you? It's in the Word. So he says, let me lay hands on you and I guarantee you Jesus will heal you. And you do that and they get healed. And it makes life interesting and fun, doesn't it? It really does. The other night, I guess it was Monday night, I came back from uh, Oregon. And when I got in Monday night, Cheryl picked me up and she was on the phone with a little couple uh, when she picked me up. And the little lady wanted to talk to me, so I'm talking to her and she said, my husband wants to talk to you. So, put him on the phone and he said, sir, we listened to two of your tapes and it totally turned our world upside down. He said, we've been in church, but the church we go to never sees a miracle. I told him, well, praise God. I mean, that's the same kind I was raised up in. It might have been just like mine. But I said, when I got a hold of the Word, everything began to change. He said, we heard your tapes. We heard you talk about all these miracles. We wrote down every scripture in those two tapes. And he said, lo and behold, every scripture you quoted was exactly what our Bible said too. And so he said, I went over to my pastor. And I told him, I said, did you know that I have just listened to a tape, a man that lays hands on the sick, cast out devils, and people get healed. He said, look, if you heard somebody say that, he's of the devil. He said, this don't work. And he said, but pastor, he said it. He told me the scripture. I looked at my Bible, the one I bring to church every Sunday, and that's what my Bible says. And so now this pastor's in trouble. He's in trouble. What's he going to do? If Jesus said, in these signs shall follow those that believe, in Mark 16, 17, and 18. Well, this tells you exactly. Jesus did say these signs shall follow those that believe. So if this little pastor don't believe, guess why there's nobody casting out devils or healing no sick in that church? Because the pastor don't believe. Because Jesus is the one that made the statement. I didn't write the book. I just believe what Jesus says. If Jesus says I can lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. It works, don't it? Yes, it does. It sure does. Now then, uh, in Matthew eight twenty eight, let's go there. And uh, in Matthew eight twenty eight, and he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now see there again, there's that same story, but it's in Matthew this time, Matthew 8. Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea. So stop and think about this. If Jesus never done anything against his heavenly Father, not one time did Jesus do anything against his heavenly Father, if the wind and the waves and the storms 
had been coming from the heavenly father would Jesus have been doing something against his father so guess who's the principality of power and the prince of the power of the air Satan of course since Satan is the prince of the power of the air and he's the one that brings all these devastating winds and tornadoes and storms and everything else if he's the one that's doing this Jesus stood and rebuked the wind in the ways that there was calmness. Now, if you're living in obedience to God's word and you believe these promises, and you're out there, say you're out there on the farm, like I live, and you're out there on the farm, and all of a sudden you know you've got all your sins confessed, you know you're walking holy before God, you know you're doing what the Lord says, and all of a sudden the tornado starts coming by. What are you going to do? Let it tear up your place? Absolutely not. You're going to walk out there and you're going to speak to that thing in the name of Jesus and quote a few scriptures that Jesus said and you're going to rebuke that thing and command it to go away. Now, just the other day, I mean, just, well, it hadn't, wasn't the other day, a few days back, not long, but uh, uh, there was, they got about three or four television sets right out there. It covers all the news, local, everything else, and all of a sudden on the local uh, channel, they said, Justin, there's a, uh, some tornadoes just uh, south and west of Justin, and people in the Justin there need to take cover. Well, everybody thought that was out here running. You know, they thought south and west of Justin. We're south and a little west of Justin. So one of them went out there. They looked outside front, all cloudy and everything. Walked out back and looked out here. And sure enough, two tornadoes were just right over the hill over there coming this way. I mean, they run over to Dave's house and said, Dave, his sons were there. Said, there's a couple of tornadoes right over here. You got to get out quick. They're coming this way. These people ran out of here. They cleaned this place out. I mean, everybody in here, everybody was carnal. I don't care whether they were Christians. They were all carnal. They didn't nobody know what their authority was in the name of Jesus. I mean, they left out of here. They got in their cars. This place cleaned out. You can't imagine how quick this place cleaned out. Wham! They're gone. Well, Dave's boys, they wasn't a bit excited. They know their authority. They stepped out on the back porch. They looked over there, and in the name of Jesus, we command you to leave. In Jesus' name, both tornadoes instantly dissipated right before their eyes. Now, isn't that amazing? I mean, as daughters and sons of the king, I mean, as long as we're walking holy, we've got a power over the prince of the power of the air, right? So you don't let him run over you no more. In Jesus' name. Now then, somebody says, I don't believe that'll work. Okay, don't try it then. I guarantee if you don't believe it'll work, it won't work for you. God requires and demands that those of us in his kingdom believe his word with no doubt in our heart. Why did it not work for these boys? They didn't believe it either. Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. After he did that in Mark 4, what did he say? How is it that you have no faith? In other words, learn to do some things in faith. And uh, Matthew 16 Matthew 16, 8, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do ye not understand, neither remember the five loaves or the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? O ye of little faith. Now then, we remember the, the loaves and the fishes. Now, that takes great faith, doesn't it? I mean, you think a little boy brings you a lunch basket, and you say, this is all I've got. 
and he hands you a little lunch basket with a few little fish in it and a few little loaves, or a few little biscuits. And you look up and there's 5,000 men out there. And you're going to feed that whole bunch with that little bitty time. Would that take great faith? Mm-hmm. Yes, it would. But Jesus had that kind of faith, didn't he? He said, we can do the same things, but we don't believe that. So that's why it don't work for us. Now, this would be a very good place to tell a real great story about my new wife. And I mean, she's my best teaching tool. She knows I feel shaking her head up here already. <laughs> she's a sweetheart and I love her. And I'll tell you, the other day we, we got married. And before we got married, she, got, she bought a gallon of milk, put it in the refrigerator, and about half of it was left. And so we were real busy going places and doing things. Then we had our wedding. We got married, and we were gone for two weeks, uh, different places, preaching the Word and everything else. So finally, after two weeks, we come back home, and we come in, and we get up that morning, and she says, how would you like to have some breakfast this morning? I said, that'd be wonderful. You know, now that I've got a new wife to make me some breakfast, I don't have to get up and fix it myself. I said, this will be great. So she runs in and starts fixing us some breakfast. I get up and come in there, and she reaches into the refrigerator, gets a gallon of milk, looks at the date on it, and it's only three weeks past the date on the, on the jug. So she's a normal, good woman. She pulls the top off, goes over to the sink, and starts to pour it in the sink. When she starts to pour it in the sink, immediately she starts pouring it in the sink. I said, honey, stop that. What are you doing? She stops. She said, well, I'm pouring out the milk. I said, don't pour it out. She said... I'm pouring it out because it's bad. I said, what makes you think it's bad? Well, she said, look, honey, it's three weeks past a usable date on the deal, so it's bad. I said, no, you've now moved into the house with a man of faith. (laughs) Wait a minute now. Somebody said, wait a minute now. You're going a little too far. I said, I guarantee you that milk is good and sweet. I said, now, we didn't buy that milk and put it in the refrigerator and leave it for three weeks to try it and test God. We bought the milk, we used it, or you used it, until you got down to half, and then you were where you couldn't use it, and then we were out of town for two weeks. So I said, that milk is still good, I guarantee it, because Jesus said, I can have anything I say with my mouth if I believe it with my heart. Did he say that, young lady? I said, the milk is good. I said, pour me a glass. I reached up in the cabinet, got a glass. I said, pour me a glass. She said, honey, it won't be no good. I said, pour me a glass of milk. Okay. So she starts pouring, and she said, well, it's not coming out in love. <laughs> she's learning to be over the face, slowly but surely. Don't get me wrong. I didn't get there overnight, I can tell you for sure. But I'm going to make this woman a woman of great faith. So anyway... As she pours it out, she says, not coming out in lumps. And I said, of course not. It's sweet and perfect in the name of Jesus. And so when she gets my glass full, I start toward my mouth. And she said, honey, are you at least going to smell of it? I said, no, that would be doubt. I'm going to drink it. So I come right on up and I took a drink and I said, beautiful, perfect. I said, here. And I put it over. Guess what she did? She smells of it first. She said, She said, it smells okay. I said, of course it's okay. It's good. And so I put it up to her lips, and she took a little sip, and she said, wow, you're right. It's perfect. I said, I told you that you've moved into a house with a man of great faith. And I'm going to tell you, there's been a few things in her life been shaken and rocked (laughs) since we come into the house together. Had there, honey? Just a few things. A few things because... See, who would ever dream you could do something like that? 
I mean, we're trained in the world, right? I mean, Laura, you're a woman that's raised a family. You probably a woman of faith that read the Word of God, but if you looked at the label on a normal gallon of milk and you'd used it, and the last time you used it three weeks ago, it's just normal to tell you that you know that gallon of milk is spoiled, right? Yeah, it would have big lumps in it. Yeah, and it would have big lumps, and so you just pour it out, throw away the jug, right? There's no doubt in your mind. But now, what did Jesus say you could do? Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have what? Sharon, did he really say that? I mean, did he really say that? He did. Now, if Jesus said that, can you speak to the gallon of milk? Can, can man the gallon of milk, or the half a gallon, that's all it was, if you hadn't put the odds to the test, somebody said, I'm going to go home and buy a gallon of milk, drink half of it, and put it in the refrigerator, and I'm going to wait till past the day, then I'm going to wait three weeks and I'm going to try it. Don't you do that, because you're going to be putting God to the test. And when you put him to the test, it won't work. Yeah. Only works for you under the right circumstances. Now, we was not where we could have drank the milk. Somebody said, well, my goodness, that's only a dollar's worth of milk, or a dollar and a half. Well, but that's a dollar and a half. You think God's interested in the little things? The other day when we were in Baltimore, uh, we were talking about some of these things. One of the pastors over there come to me and he said, Thurman, I had no idea how interested God is in the little things in our life until here a few years ago. He said, I was doing a mail-out. And he said, I liked one three-cent stamp, having enough stamps put on everything. And I thought, if I stop by the post office to get that stamp, I'm going to be late for preaching. So he said, I'll just have to wait and go by the post office in the morning. But, Lord, I sure did want to mail these things tonight after church so they go out early. But he said, I don't have time to stop. He said, I walked up to the front of the church coming in, and a woman handed me an envelope. And she said, the Lord told me to give you this envelope. I said, what's in it? She said, what's in it is what God told me to give you. And so I put it in an envelope. So he said, I walked into my office, laid the envelope that opened up, and it was one three-cent stamp. <laughs> He said, at that point, I realized God's interested in the littlest things in my life. Uh, he moved upon the heart of a woman to put one lousy little three-cent stamp. What do you think the coincidence of a woman meeting her pastor at the door with an envelope with nothing in it but one three-cent stamp if God hadn't told her, and that's exactly what he needed? What do you think the chances of that happening? One in ten trillion? Yeah. Of course. So she heard from God, didn't she? She heard from the Lord. The Lord told her to put that stamp in that envelope and give it to her pastor when he walked in the door. And she did. And he said, when I opened that look, I thought, my, I said, Lord, to think that I was all concerned about one lousy little three-cent stamp and you're, you are so interested in the littlest things about me. So don't you think it's time we start trusting the king yeah. for everything? Well, that yeah. work on salad dressing has been there for two years. <laughs> According to your faith, be it done unto you. See, so what, what do you think you can do? What, what, what did Jesus say in Matthew 8.13? you have any idea what he said in Matthew 8.13? 8.13. Why don't you turn over there and read that right quick while we're there. Somebody just turned to Matthew 8.13, and that's the story of the centurion where he'd come and ask Jesus to go and heal his servant. And, and, and Jesus said, I will go, I will heal him. And he said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to even come under my roof. But well, you just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. What was Jesus' answer in Matthew 8, 13? 
What's, his, what's the answer? And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. So what? There you go. So it was according to what? As he has believed. So if it worked for the centurion, if he said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, you just speak the word and I know my servant will be healed. He didn't say, I hope he will, I guess he will, or he might be. He said he will be healed. If you speak the word, Jesus said, go that way. As thou hast believed, so shall it be done unto you. So if you believed, if you believed when you walked out of that place that day down there, that you were healed because the word of God says so, you went home and throwed away all of your medication that you'd been on for 20 years. And when you had that kind of faith to just immediately get rid of all the medication because you knew the promises of God with no doubt in your heart, what did the king show up to do for you, Laura? He He healed you. Yes, he did. Of a 20-year problem. And, of course, that's just like my lovely bride up here. She had been on some of those kind of medications ever since she had had a hysterectomy when she was 30 years old. 26 years she had been on that medication. 26 years. Took those regularly. And when she heard me teach these promises in church, she locked onto them one day. She said, that's what the Word says. She said, I don't need those things no more. I am not going to take them no more. And she stopped taking them, and she's never had more energy and able to do everything she ever done with no kind of complication. Stood on the Word. I mean, made a difference in your life, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yes, praise the Lord. Now then, if you have faith and doubt not, what can you do? All things. All things. Isn't that amazing? As you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. Now then, uh, Matthew uh, 16, 8, where we started there, when Jesus perceived, he said to them, O ye of little faith, O you of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Because we're talking about he's fixing to feed the thousands of people, or has already fed the thousands of people with uh, just a handful of bread and a couple of, a few small little fish. So Jesus was showing us what we could do if we believe him. Oh, you have little faith, he said. I wonder what he would say to us today. Frank, I wonder what Jesus would say to me and you. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't, just like, I don't want to hear it either. Because <laughs> i got a feeling he wouldn't have a whole lot of good to say about both of us, right? Well, at least oh. one of us. <laughs> Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Boy, that's a, I had so little faith so many years. I mean, so many years I had no faith. And then I had little teeny faith. And then it began to increase. And I hope now I'm getting aware of a little more. Uh, thank goodness a little more. At least he's answering some of my prayers. Now, he's not answering everything immediately, but he is answering some of them. We are seeing the Lord do wonderful things. Now, John 14. I want you to go to John 14. And uh, start with verse 11. I'm going to read some of these wonderful promises to you. Uh, John 14:11. Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Now, then, when you see people get healed, and they're still getting healed today, I mean, why is it that we fight in the church when we lay hands on the sick, or we drive out devils, we speak the Word of God in these promises, and people get healed, why is it that we have so much trouble believing that this really happened? I just, I don't understand that. 
I mean, you know, it happens over and over and over and over. And people say, well, God don't heal. Oh, yeah, I know he can heal. Maybe that was just a coincidence. In fact, yesterday afternoon, I went by a lumber yard to pay uh, for some uh, lumber that we had bought to build some more uh, rooms and so forth out in our ministry center. <clears throat> and the man that owns the lumber yard, in 1986, he was one of the deacons of the church at Lakeland Baptist Church that I invited to come pray over a man with stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. And that man's name was Ed Brock, the man that was going to die. And so when God spoke to me and told me what to do, I went and told Ed what to do, and Ed wouldn't believe the Word of God. And so this man that was in that lumberyard yesterday, he went to the hospital to see Ed, and he said, when I came home after seeing Ed, the first I walked in, my wife Shirley said, well, what do you think about Ed? He said, Ed's going to die. He said, I looked at I said, Ed's going to die. That's all there is to it. He's going to die. What was he going to die? What he saw, what he heard. Doctor said he's got stage four lymphoma terminal cancer in every organ of his body. In a few days to a few weeks, he'll be dead. In fact, he told me yesterday, he said, the doctor told me when I was there, he said, anywhere from two days to two weeks, this man will be dead. That's how bad he was. So he said, when I got home, my wife said, how is he? He's going to die. I mean, that's, the doctor said, two days to two weeks. What's he going to do? He's going to die. And then I called. And I told him that Ed had called us to come pray over him and anoint him with oil, according to James 5, 14, 15, and 16. And so he went to the, he come that night, but he didn't know what to believe. And he said, I'll, I'll never forget the night that we walked in that church on Monday night, all of us men that you'd call. And Ed was there, and Ed said, Thurman, what do you got in that sack? I said, I got a bottle of oil. And I took it out, and here's a bottle of olive oil. He said, where did you get that? I said, at Tom Thumb. He said, you ever done this before? I said, no. He said, I remember. Ed said, oh, great. Here you are, a man with a bottle of olive oil from Tom Thumb, and I got stage four lymphoma terminal cancer. We think I'm going to get healed with that. Well, how many of you know it wasn't that that healed him? It was the Lord that healed him. He said, the Lord says anointed with oil. But Ron says, from that day, when we anointed Ed Brock with oil that night, and you were so bold, and you stood on that scripture, and you read us that scripture, he said, I got home that night, my wife Shirley said, well, what do you think now? He said, I told her, Ed's going to live. And I said, what made the difference? He said, the word of God. And from that day to this, that Ed did get well, and he fully recovered. And I'm going to tell you, it lit that man's fire. That man has been on fire for Jesus. He's, he's been in prison ministries. He's gone all over this country. He has worked for Jesus diligently. He said, from that day, that lit my fire to serve the king. And he had a picture there on his motorcycle in some motorcycle where they rode through some big prison somewhere on their motorcycles. They rode down Death Road. There were 13 of those men. They rode down Death Road. They had a picture Oh, right there, death row and whatever, I think it was in Huntsville, I think it was, where they allowed them to ride right through that thing on their motorcycle because they were there as ministers of the gospel coming down there to lead people to Jesus. And, of course, he had names of people. It's amazing. You never know when God does a miracle. God spoke to my heart, spoke to me in an audible voice in front of a hospital room that totally transformed my life that day for healing, because I, as a Southern Baptist, had never seen somebody miraculously healed from terminal cancer. But there was 28 other men there. 
that had never seen this happen either. But I'll never know until I get heaven the impact that healing had on all those men. It had a tremendous impact on that man. Totally changed his life. It totally changed lots of men's life. And I told Ron yesterday when I was up there paying that bill, I said, Ron, you know why God didn't do an instantaneous total healing on Ed Brock right there the day we prayed for him? He said, I've often wondered why he didn't do that instantly, why it took him so long. I said, because where we were in our faith, if the Lord had an instantaneously come down from heaven and zapped Ed Brock and he'd have jumped up there totally, completely strong and well right there, I said he'd had one man healed and 28 heart attacks to take care of. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, don't you, Frank? If we'd have saw God do that kind of a miracle, probably oh, all of us would have said, I don't believe this. And when we said that, see, we'd have stepped in total doubt and unbelief, but the Lord knew what he was doing. So he knew he was going to have to do it gentle for his Southern Baptist deacons. He couldn't do something great for us because we were not men of faith. We had not been trained. But he knew exactly what he was doing with every one of those men, 28 of us, and I'm going to tell you, our lives were transformed. And I'm going to tell you, I am here today teaching a healing school because of what God did in that miracle of healing that man with terminal cancer that day. And I have no idea, and will never have any idea, this side of heaven, the lives that God has touched. You realize in the last six years, I've taught a healing school at least one Saturday a month in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. This last year, I've taught two. And I could not begin to tell you that people have been healed and their lives have been transformed in these healing schools. But there have been many of them. But now then, I wonder why everybody don't get healed. Because the promises are here. I try my best in a healing school to teach you these promises that God made and why things do work and why they don't work. And of course, those that get instantly healed it, I've come to realize it's a real chore. You have to do a lot of teaching because people that get instantly healed, they walk out of here thinking that it's easy. I got healed. It's a piece of cake. And then a month later, two months later, six months later, the devil comes back on you with a symptom. Or all of a sudden you begin to get weak six weeks later. Now then the devil's saying, you didn't get nothing. Don't you feel those symptoms I'm putting back on you again? Now then you're either going to buy that or you're going to drive him out, right? And if you drive him away, you only have to put up with it a day or two or three, and he goes away, and then you're back to good. But you've got to keep your healing. He is a slick beast. I heard John Hagee say here a while back, and I think John Hagee's one of the finest preachers we got today. I love him with all my heart. But I heard him make a statement like this. He said, the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven, I'm going to punch Adam in the nose. <laughs> then, of course, he's just kidding. We all know he's kidding. But I thought to myself when he said that, I said, John, you know better than that. You know if that had been you and your wife there in the Garden of Eden, he'd have deceived you too, just like he did Adam and Eve. I said, so don't you even think about punch. Of course, he later repented. You know, he said, I, I'm just kidding, of course. But, you know, we think we won't sin. Let me tell you, if you think you don't sin, all you got to do is hide behind the door and wait. The devil's going to get you before night. I can assure you he's going to slip up on your blind side somewhere. It is so difficult to walk there. And all of you know what I'm talking about. You know, the devil comes to deceive us. And he is really good at what he does. Now then in John 14, verse 11, where Jesus said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. And then in verse 12, Jesus said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, 
Now, you can put your name right there. He that believeth on me. Now, this is a requirement. Do you believe on Jesus? Okay, if you're a believer on Jesus, he said, The works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go unto my Father. Now, wait a minute. That's just a little bit too bold a statement for the average Christian. I mean, this was Jesus. He was God. Yeah, he calmed the seas. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He raised the dead. He done all those wonderful things. But he was God. Oh, he was a man. He laid down all that power, and it was the Holy Ghost working through him that was doing the works anyway. It was not him. And if you're a born-again believer, what Holy Ghost do you have in you? The same one that was in him. And if you've got the same one as in him, who's doing all these works? It's the Holy Ghost. It's God in all of them. So it's the same God that done the work through Jesus that's going to do them through you and me. But isn't it fun to let him use you to get these things done? Because this is a pretty bold statement. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And then look at verse 13 and 14. Look at these two double whammies back to back. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. What can you do with two verses like that, honey? Raise my dad. Yeah, raise your daddy from the dead. And you did it, didn't you? Now then, I'll tell you a little bit of the story. Of course, I didn't know at that time that Cheryl was going to be my bride in a few months. And neither did she had no idea of this whatsoever. But her dad came down sick, and he went to the hospital. Now, he was in his 80s, and he went to the hospital, and the doctors checked him, and they come and told Cheryl, said, Cheryl, five different doctors said, we're sorry, but your daddy will never go home from the hospital. He's terminal. One of the average daughter of, of a man like that, the average daughter, what would you do when the doctor tell you, I'm sorry, your daddy, it's over, he'll die here in the next few days? What's the average person do? The average person. We believe that, don't we? We believe what the doctor said. So she called me. I was her pastor. Yep, she called me crying. That's right. She was, she, she, she was a normal lady. You know, although she'd been in my church almost two years, said she had accumulated a lot of faith. But the devil that got through to her that day, he was deceiving her. She called crying, said Thurman, the doctor, five doctors just told me my daddy's not going to leave the hospital alive. What can I do? I said, well, it's totally up to you and me. I said, we can pray the prayer of faith. I said, is your daddy a man of faith? She said, no, absolutely not. He's just a normal man. But I said, well, then it's going to be up to you. You're going to have to stand in for your daddy, and you're going to stand in with great faith. I said, it may be an intensive battle. But I said, I will pray the prayer of faith with you, and then you're going to have to go to the hospital. You're going to have to take the Word of God. You're going to have to walk up and down by his bed. You're going to have to speak the Word of God. You're going to have to drive those devils out. You're going to have to overcome all that unbelief and doubt. And I said, if you will... But I said, the first thing you need to do, you need to stop crying because Jesus said, come boldly into the throne of grace. He didn't tell you to come in there about crying. <laughs> so that's the hardest thing for ladies to do. You know, I mean, it's the hardest thing for a woman. And when you, I mean, you know, you, you hate to just tell them, hey, girl, stop blubbering. Shut up, will you please? <laughs> you got to do it. Use a little more tact to that. You know, you just can't quite do it like that. But see, when you get their attention and tell them what Jesus said, they didn't say come in here crying. He said come in here boldly. 
and tell me what you want. So I said, you, you, you're yielding to the enemy, so stop crying, start believing God's promises, take the word, walk into your daddy's room, and start quoting all these great promises. So these, these promises right here is two of the ones she used over and over and over. She used many, but those are two of the verses that she used when she said, Lord, you said I can ask anything and you'll do it. So I'm asking you to raise up my daddy and heal him and restore him. And she just stayed with it. Well, she stayed with it for about a week or a week and a half. The battle was intensive. So she called me again. She said, would you pray for me again? I'm being beat down. Now, she's up day and night, see. Well, she, she's, we pray again. So she takes it for another week or a week and a half. Well, probably five times in the next 55 days, all told, she called me and asked me to pray for her dad with her and give her a little counsel. Well, at the end of 55 days, she come out of the hospital with her daddy completely recovered. I mean, he's completely recovered. So, of course, then she's on fire. She sees she's won the battle. It has increased. It, it's encouraged her. She's seen the Word of God work for her, although it has been an intensive fight of faith. I mean, she's lost a lot of sleep. She hadn't been able to work normal. I mean, she's still trying to work some. But, I mean, between working and staying with her daddy, she's not getting much sleep. I mean, and, you know, it's easy to get beat down in the flesh when you don't have any rest. But she was not going to give up. She stood on God's Word and fought the fight of faith, and her daddy was completely healed. And, of course, it wasn't but just a, a short while after that that I had no idea. You know, she didn't either. But just a short while after that, that daddy was going to hold her under his arm and bring her down and gift her to me. And she was going to become my bride. But it was, I mean, if I'd have known that, I might have went down to the hospital a couple of times and prayed over here myself. <laughs> oh, I had no idea of the closeness that I was going to be into this family before it was all over. But we got it done over the phone, didn't we, honey? We got it done over the phone. Now, that, what did Jesus say you could ask for? Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, if you know you've got your sins confessed and you're walking holy before God and you ask these kind of things and it does not happen overnight and it didn't for Cheryl's dad. It did not happen for Howard, her daddy, overnight. So what do you do? If you don't see any results tomorrow, do you give up? No. If you do, what happens? You lose. Mm -hmm. The devil beats you. Yeah. But she didn't see much change the next day either, but she still didn't give up. So she began to see ups and downs, ups and downs. You get better and then you get worse. You get better and worse. And so it was an intensive battle of warfare for nearly two months. But praise God, today he's doing great. You know, he's back at home, and of course, working and everything else, just doing great. Now, if these promises are in God's Word, what's wrong with the average church member today? I mean, we don't believe these things, do we? What's wrong with us? But you're right, they don't believe. I mean, just like you and me. We didn't either, did we? No, I mean, these promises, these promises have to come from here to here. When they make the little short trip, you can stand on them. In fact, I guess right here uh, would be a good place. I want to ask this young lady right here to come up and give her testimony about the spider bite. Uh, would you mind doing that? Let me get, a, get this mic here so it'll be on tape. And then you're going, I forgot a while ago that this mic does not come over the PA like the one down at the church. This one only puts it on tape. So can I ask you to stand fairly close to me right here so maybe this mic will work for the people here. So just stand fairly close as you can. Okay. So just go ahead and speak into that and right here and tell us what happened. Well, I came here 
It was the last Justin school. And so it's been about a month ago. And I came for some other reasons, because I had listened to Thurman's uh, tape, and uh, I was having hot flashes and some different things. And I did everything he said, confessed all my sins, did all those things. And I prayed and, and believed God and was completely, totally healed that day. And the next, that was the first time in eight months that I had slept that night and had not had a hot flash. And it was just, it was amazing. It was so amazing. And then I came and heard him, and my friend Pamela said, you need to go up there and get prayed for it. And I said, no, God's already healed me. And so I didn't even come forth and do that. But then the next week, he was sharing that week about that spider bite that he had gotten. And he was sharing all about how they had to get in there and cut some stuff out and everything. Well, the very next week, I, I looked down and I had this, this mark. There's still a little bit of it there. But I had this mark, and it just blew up. And I never had anything like that happen before. And it got real big. And I just was like, what is going on with my arm? And I just started praying, and I said, in the name of Jesus, you know, you're, you're, you're not welcome here. Get out of here, you know. And just started using his word. And I went over to my friend's house, and she said, we need to work on that. <laughs> she said, we need to work on that. And uh, she just squeezed that thing, and all this stuff came out. And she kept squeezing it, squeezing it, and... And we did that for a couple of days, and then it just went away. So from you hearing me tell about my spider bite, you had the faith to stand on God's promises to overcome yours too, right? Right. So you didn't yield no. to the enemy. You didn't go to the doctor. No. Distrusted God, and he completely healed it. Yeah. Isn't that amazing how God will work? <laughs> now, the promises of God will work for me or her or you or you or Cheryl. Or anybody that believes God, right? Amen. Now, is it is it a little bit difficult when there's the spider bites on your arm and it's all swelled up? It was a whole lot easier for me to tell the story about my arm being big and puffy than it was when it was your arm and big and puffy, right? But you stood on it, didn't you? And he healed you just like he did me. Now then, when we learn to trust our king, did he promise to heal all of our problems? Did he promise to do it instantly? No, not instantly. But he said, I will do it. Now then, if you stand on his word, if he says, I'll heal all of your infirmities, all of your diseases, if we trust him and believe his word with no doubt in our heart, what does the king obligated himself to do? Exactly what he said. Heal all of our diseases. Now then, when the enemy begins to beat up on you, now I realize this is where the difference between real faith people and people of little faith, this is where we get separated. Those of real faith have no doubt that it's a done deal. No doubt. Somebody said, well, Thurman, look at your arm. Oh, mine was on this arm. Hers was on the right arm. Oh, mine was right here on the left arm. But when, when you look, no, I take it back. No, mine was on the right arm. That's right. It was the right arm. Yeah. Because I remember the day driving the truck. That's right. It was on the right arm. Whenever you first get a little knot this big on your arm, that's one thing. But the next morning when it's that big from here to here and your whole arm's all soft and puffy all over and it's at least a half inch thicker every way all the way around. That would have been a little harder for me. <laughs> the, the devil, when you look at that, the devil says, you fool, you better look at that. And then the next day when it's not only puffy, it's so hard, it's stiff and it don't even want to bend. Ugh. And then the devil says, oh, you're a fool now. You've really lost it. You've gone too long. You're going to lose that arm. 
You, you, I mean, you know, I mean, he's putting all those thoughts in your mind. Of course he's a liar. But now then, is it real easy when it's your arm at this point to say, hey, I, let, honey, quick, get me to the doctor as quick as you can get me down there. Is it easy? Yes, it's easy to fall. Easy. I mean, uh, yeah, you get a little bitty tiny cut, you know, and you have a little bitty tiny thing there. Oh, no big deal. You know, Jesus promised to heal all my everything, so I just put a Band-Aid over it. It's going to get well. And in a week or two or three or whatever, you say, see, there's not even a scar. I told you Jesus would do it. But if you get one that you lay it open from here to here and blood's running out everywhere, what are you going to do? Well, let me tell you, Dave, he did that. Dave back here, whenever Dave, he was back right out here in this building last year in Christmas, and he was ripping a two-by-four in two on our table saw, and the board hung, and the board was about that long, and it throwed that 17-inch two-by-four out of that saw and hit him flat in the face. It busted his nose. It scratched him up. It busted his uh, lip right here, busted his lip right here, all the way down to the bottom, plumb over to right here, broke his jawbone down here, broke it in two right here. Blood's gushing everywhere. He puts his hand upon his mouth and puts his hand down and looks and blood's gushing everywhere. So he walks over to the house over there, knocks on the door, and his precious little bride comes to the door and she says, What happened to you? And he says, Pray. Go upstairs and pray. <laughs> so Sherry goes upstairs and prays. I don't know how long she's up there. She comes back down in a few minutes. She says, go back and pray again. <laughs> so then one of the sons come in and said, Dad, what happened? And he looks at me and said, I'm taking you to the hospital. He said, I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm going to be okay. He said, no, we're taking you to the hospital. So they run him down to the hospital. The doctor looked at him and said, goodness gracious. So they sew up all of his upper lip. They sew up all of his bottom lip inside and out. Sew it all the way over here. And then tell him, tomorrow we've got to do surgery on you. Your jawbone's broken. Your upper deal's broken. You're in big trouble. He said, no surgery for me. Jesus is my healer. So Sherry called me. I was out of town down at my, uh, some folks' home in Goldsworth, my sister's. So I got in the car and drove back up here. I drove to the hospital in Fort Worth. I walked in. I looked at him. I said, Dave, you look great. <laughs> I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm going to be okay. That's what happened. He told me. And he said, they said they want to do surgery. I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, nothing. He said, we praise God. He said, Jesus is our healer, isn't he? I said, he promised it, didn't he? He said, yep. He said, you pray with me too? I said, yep. I said, and I said, Sherry, you've already prayed. I know it's already done. But I said, I'll mix my faith with y'all's. And he said, I'm going home in the morning. He said, ain't going to do no surgery on me. He said, now they told me they got to go in there and put clamps in there and squeeze all that back together and everything and hook it up or it won't, I won't never be able to eat or nothing. But he said, praise God. That's not what Jesus said. Now that's his mouth that's busted open. That's his mouth. It's a whole lot easier for me to agree with him than with my mouth. See? But I've been there and done that too. So he stood on faith. Next morning, they released him. They didn't want to. But he come home. And within a week, he was eating a little bit. Within two weeks, you could not tell. And today... You can't tell where they sewed his lip up. You can't see a mark. I mean, inside or out. You cannot see a scar or a place or nothing. And, of course, never with no surgery or nothing. He's full bore 100%. He trusted God. Now, is it difficult to trust God that's your mouth? Yes. yes, it is. Let me tell you. But it all depends. 
I mean, if it was your mouth, I could say, sure, honey, let's just go and I'll stand and say for you. Jesus will hear you and I'll pray for you. So now then, go. It's done. But you've got to be able to do that when it's your mouth too. Amen. And when you do, then the Lord knows where you are. Now then, did the Lord say in John fourteen thirteen, and if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it for you? If he said that, Dave believed him. Dave believed against all odds. And Jesus done such a wonderful job on Dave's mouth. It is absolutely amazing. Within just two weeks, his mouth was completely healed. In two weeks' time, you could not see a mark where a stitch had been put in there. And, of course, when I first saw him, not only was it sewed in two up here, right and below his nose, all the way down here, but it plumbed in two and broke that right there in front. And then from right here all the way down, his lip was busted plump almost to the bottom of his chin and at least an inch or an inch and a half over to the side. This set of lips was hanging out to the side. That's how bad it was busted open. And then the jawbone was broke. But he trusted God. And the king put it back together without a scar. What kind of work does our king do? Perfect. That's exactly right. All we got to do is believe him, isn't it, Frank? All we got to do is believe the king. Wow. But he made the promises, didn't he? But we've got to believe them. Now then, look at John fifteen seven. Jesus said in John fifteen seven, If, now wait a minute, why does he always put that big word in there again? If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Now see, there's a requirement here, isn't it? In other words, does that mean you're going to start studying the word once in a while? Yeah, not just once in a while. Every day. Every day. We need to be in the Word. Every one of us. And then he says in verse 10 there, in fact, let me just read verse uh, 8 and 9 and 10. There's some awesome statements there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. That verse right there is the verse, the very first verse I quoted in the hospital that day over my granddaughter when she was terminal. I mean, my granddaughter was so tore up in a car wreck, and most of you know that story, so I won't tell it in detail, but she was so tore up with her brain stem severed, eyes disconnected, face tore all the pieces, lungs crushed, knees crushed, leg broken two places, and with the brain stem severed and eyes disconnected, the doctor said, it's no way she can live. No way. She's a goner. I said, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So I, Father, in the name of Jesus, on behalf of that verse, ask you to completely heal and restore my grandbaby. And I want to thank you for doing it. And then I stood on that verse. I told everybody, I said, that little girl will not only be normal, she will not only live, but she'll be normal and she'll run and play again. I guarantee it. Well, yesterday afternoon... I hadn't seen her in a couple of days, so I went by oh, out there yesterday when I went out to the minister center, and her and her daddy happened to be there. And so I went up and knocked on the door. I heard him say, come on in. And so I, I went in, and Caitlin, I said, hi. I said, where's, where's uh, Caitlin? He said, she's in the shower. She's six years old now. She heard me talking. The next thing I knew, here's this little gal running out of the shower right in there. She didn't have her towel around her like a cape. Totally moved from here plumb to the floor. Run, grab granddaddy. You know, had to love him and he talked to me a few minutes. And I thought, oh God, how awesome you are. You know, I mean, just like, 
I could have just let her die if I'd have been normal. I could have yielded to the doctors and she could have already been in heaven and she wouldn't have been able to enjoy all these wonderful things. But I took the word of God and I stood on it. Now, if the king says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask anything what that you want and it shall be done for you. Why in the world do we not ask God for these mighty things and then believe he can do it? See, he can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can even think or imagine, right? But you've got to believe it, right? right? With no doubt in your heart. So we did fight an extremely long battle. In fact, my battle was much longer with Caitlin than Cheryl's was with her daddy. But she fought an intensive battle for 55 days. So she knows what I went through because I fought that battle intensively more, a lot longer than that for my granddaughter. But praise the Lord, because I stood in faith and believed God against all kinds of impossible odds I could walk in and holler, where's Caitlin? She was running out of the shower. With, she grabbed the towel all right, but instead of putting it around her like most people would, she just throwed it around her shoulder and hold it like this, streaking through the house totally naked. That sounds just like a little six-year-old. That's what they do, you know. I mean, isn't it wonderful to be innocent when you're that young? Nothing means nothing. He, she didn't care. She just wanted a towel so she could kind of draw. She didn't care what was showing. She was just a little tiny lady. Praise God. And the Lord says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Now, if we're going to be his disciples, how much fruit are we supposed to bear? Much. I mean, we're, we're disciples of the Lord. We should be bringing forth much fruit. As we do these great and mighty things, who's glorified? Our Father which is in heaven. God's got a lot of glory out of that miracle. He bring, brought those two little girls back from the dead. I am still, and I have no idea how many years into the future we will receive praise reports from people that hear that tape. Because the people that hear that tape, I, Frank, there's no telling how many of them you guys have made over there at your church and give away, is there? <laughs> I mean, but those, I mean, even a, a Jeff, that associate pastor over there, when she took that tape over, gave it to him the first time, and he listened to it, it totally lit his fire. Yeah, Terry said, he come back and said, make me a couple of sets of these. And a little while he come back, he wanted a half a dozen. And next day, he said, want to come back and make 15 or 20. And she said, there is no telling how many of them tapes I've made and give away to our pastor, and he's giving them away to all kinds of people. I have no idea what God has done with that. But I will say that the other day, I got a call from a man in Pennsylvania. He said a couple of real good friends of ours came by the house, and they had three children, and they'd come by to tell us that they had decided they were going to get a divorce. They've gone as far as they could, kids up to about 10 years old. And they said, it's over. We can't be reconciled. We're going to get a divorce. And he said, I can't talk yet. They said, no. He said, I'll tell you what. You got a long drive back to home. So he said, let me give you these two tapes. I want you to listen to them. And he gave them the two tapes about the Caitlin Miracle, one and two. And the first tape is all about my life and how good a mother and father I had. And that's why I turned out like I did because of the great mother and father that I had. And then the story about the greatest miracle that ever happened about how the Lord raised Caitlin and Kelly from the dead and healed them. They got home that night. The next morning they called a friend and he called me. He said, when I got home to listen to those tapes, said, by the time we got home, we had repented and been reconciled 
and we was not going to do what we did because we knew it was the devil trying to separate us so he could destroy our children. So I thought, oh God, only you know what you've done with these tapes. But I'm so grateful for what he has done. He saved that marriage. Praise the Lord. And he says, and the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. In verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you to do. Think about that. The king had to command us to love one another. Isn't that awful? That he would have to command us to love each other? I mean, just think when a man and a woman that are married have problems. Should a man and a woman that's married ever have a problem that they can't overcome in a few minutes? No, technically speaking. They should be able to discuss it. They should be loving the Lord, walking in the love of God. And if the enemy tries to get in, they should be able to sit down and talk about the problem, be able to reconcile the problem, and kick the devil out and go away arm in arm loving each other. Shouldn't we, Frank? That's the way it should be. Now then, if we don't listen to God's Word and we listen to the enemy instead, when we step out of a love walk, what happens to all this power we've been reading about? It goes out the window. It's all released. Because all these promises and everything is all based around one word. Love. You walk in love, and you walk holy before God. You don't have anger, rage, you control it. And then when you become like Jesus, walking in love, then he says, you can ask anything in my name, and I will do it for you. Do you think walking in love is worth the cost? I do. I want to get to the point, and I, I don't know how long it's going to take, and I may never get there on this earth. But at least there is a goal to walk in so that I can walk in a total love walk on this earth. Because when I get there, I'm going to say when I get there, not if I get there. I'm going to say when I get there. I realize that when I get there, I can ask the king anything for anybody and he will do it. Now the other day when we went into a home in Oregon, we was asked to come and back to this one lady, uh, they, they've had this boy, I don't know, I think the boy was 10 years old. He, he was, his original uh, mother and father were on drugs and alcohol and living out of wedlock together and everything. And of course, the couple that was going to adopt this boy, when they found out she wanted to give him up, they asked her, have you ever taken any drugs or anything? She said, no. She lied. Well, they took the boy and then they found out he was not going to be normal. And then they found out he's sure not going to be normal. He turned out to be autistic and he has hundreds of seizures 
They have taken him everywhere. I mean, the poor little child's in bad shape. While I was up there, <clears throat> one of the ladies knew this woman, and she wanted to know if we could come by there and pray over this boy. And the woman kept asking, how much does he charge? Hey, everywhere they take the baby to doctors, guess what? They charge him a fortune to no avail. And she said, he don't charge anything. She said, you mean he come by our house and pray over the boy and don't charge us nothing? No. That's just like, and I went by there when I looked at this poor little boy and the condition he's in. I thought, Lord, that is a sad state of affairs to think of the condition, how this little boy is all twisted and everything else. And we rebuked the devil over him and everything. We did see an instant manifestation of the seizure go away. We saw that instantly. But yet the autistic part, that powerful demon, I didn't see any change right then. But just like the other day, whenever uh, Randy Riley from Carlsbad called me and little Nate, he was also in the 14th seizure in 10 days. He didn't have autism. He just had seizures. And that demon's not near as powerful as the autistic demon. So I've, I fasted and prayed. The longest I've ever fasted and prayed is two weeks. So in the two weeks of fasting and prayer, I had the authority and power to drive out the demon of uh, uh, out there and the little boy with the seizures because he was instantly healed. He was in the 14th seizure in 10 days, and when I spoke over him, commanded the demon to leave, he was instantly healed, and it awestruck that entire Methodist church out there in Carlsbad, New Mexico, that they'd been praying for this. Well, we had several of those people here at the next healing school, and then they took a whole bunch of our tapes, went back out there, and it's totally turned that church upside down. I mean, they see a little boy that for two and a half years has had seizure after seizure after seizure, and many men and women in that church have been on prayer teams praying for this boy, and nothing happened. And one guy, long distance on the telephone, Justin, Texas, rebuked the devil, and the little boy is instantly healed. That has a tendency to affect everybody in church, because they all knew it. Some of them believe what happened, some of them don't believe. So when they got my tapes, uh, I understand there's quite a turmoil in that church. But I didn't expect anything less. Didn't expect anything less. But although I saw the demon of, of uh, uh, autism, it appeared he remained. At this point, I've never seen a child instantly healed of autism. So guess whose fault it is? Ours. One of these days, and I don't know when that's going to be, I'm going to continue... I'm going to continue every day to walk in all the love I know how. And one of these days I'm going to go on an extended fast and prayer. I don't know when that's going to be. But I know it's going to be a pretty intensive thing with the schedules that I have to keep and the places I have to go to go there and do all that praying and fasting for 30 or 40 days. But somewhere along the line, I'm going to reach the point where when I pray over an autistic child, a child gets healed. I want to reach that point. Uh, there's so many children in the world with autism. And the Lord clearly tells us when they say, Lord, why could we not cast out this devil? He said, because of your unbelief. He said, now this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Now then, most people don't like to fast. You know, if most people go, if most people don't eat three full meals a day, they think I can't live till tomorrow. You know, if we have breakfast this morning and dismiss lunch, by the time the evening comes up, I'm famished, I'm starved, I can't make it. I mean, is that us? 
Sure it is. That's where we live. But anyway, Jesus said in verse 16 of that chapter, he says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you that you love one another. You reckon he's trying to get through to us and teach us something? I think so. So if we love one another, what can we ask in his name? Anything and he will do it. Praise the Lord. Uh, let's the, Joshua, let's the, take up our offering right now. It's 3 o'clock. We're going to take up our offering. Then we're going to take about a 15 or 20 a minute or whatever uh, break. I'll tell you 15 or 20 minutes because it always winds up 30. I'll tell you 30, you take 45. So I'm going to say, we're going to, anyway, we're going to take up our offering. This is the way we support our ministry uh, on, at the healing school. Uh, we take up an If you need an envelope, Joshua will give you an envelope. If you're going to, if you're going to give a check that's got your address, you don't need an envelope. But if you're going to give cash and you want a deduction, uh, make sure to take an envelope and please, please print your name and address, everything on there. Don't just put John Doe at 1015 uh, 9th Street. I don't know what city you live in. <laughs> please put everything on there because we have to enter that in the records and send you a receipt at the end of the year. So, in fact, uh, Yesterday, I couldn't read some stuff. Cheryl couldn't read some stuff. And I left it. We left it for Elaine. And when I was in there yesterday, Elaine was calling the people back wherever they live to try to get their name. I said, you couldn't read those either. She said, Thurman, I couldn't read them. And the address, I couldn't read on those too. But I will have to say, we were pretty fortunate. I brought back 121 requests for boxes of video and audio tapes. And the other night, Cheryl... Bless her heart. She sat down out there at the computer from 11 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning, and she entered all 121 of those in the computer. And we only had two of that 121, actually the 123, but two of them we couldn't read. So that's not bad out of 121. That was pretty great. So if you write, you know, your name and address, print it, not write it, print it, well, then we will be able to enter it in the computer and give you a tax deduction. If you want to make out a check, just make it out TLSM. T-L-S-M. That stands for The Living Savior Ministries. And that's all you need, T-L-S-M. We are a full tax deductible organization. And at the end of the year, if you haven't moved, uh, you know, and still got the same address. And I was fortunate last year, almost every one of the deals, receipts I sent out went through. I got about maybe half a dozen of them back. And uh, some of the people had left me a phone number. I was able to call. But there was one family I could not get in touch with that had given us a, a fairly significant amount of deductions over the year, a few hundred dollars worth. The state says, if you give me more than $250 worth of deduction in a year, I have to give you a receipt. If you don't give $250 worth, I don't have to give you a receipt. But anyway, these people had given us uh, uh, more than 250 and I couldn't find them. No way, form or fashion. And so, up in this year, about... Uh, I guess it must have been about May or June. It was well past income tax time. He called me and said, I didn't get a tax receipt from you for the money I gave you. And I said, I tried. But the address, it came back, and I tried the phone number. It didn't work. He said, oh, yeah, we did move. I said, well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you finally called. And so when he called and gave me the right place, I sent it to him. So anyway, we try our best to get those out. But we do appreciate the gifts you give us because... 
we are buying new equipment and we are adding on to our building and everything else and all that does cost money. So, praise the Lord. The Lord says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Now, for those of you that don't know if you're new here, right across the gym on the far corner over there, there's a room over there and uh, right on the far corner over there and when you walk in that little room, it's got glass in the front of it. When you walk in, there's free audio and video tapes over there of several of our teachings. Those tapes are free for you. Take as many as you like. Give them to your friends or whatever. And those are there. That's some of the tapes that we give away. So now then, if we've got that all done, uh, if you would like, uh, of course, the bathroom's over here on the side. We've got little drinking fountains all over the place. And go out and take about a 15 or 20 minute break and then come back and at about 3.15, 3.20, and we'll start over again to finish the healing school today. Praise the Lord. But anyway, this one's for the, just for the, but anyway, this one's for the, just for the tape, but anyway, see if you can talk loud enough. We had a genetic disease called celiac disease. It makes it so that your body attacks itself anytime you eat oats, rye, wheat, or barley. And so, therefore, we were not able to eat even one molecule of oats, rye, wheat, or barley without having serious complications in our life. Some people get everything from seizures to uh, major diarrhea. We did not have those. We had brain fog and severe pain in odd parts of our body. And I'll let Caleb tell him about his. But anyway, we came and we claimed... John 14, 14, and uh, Thurman prayed over us about six weeks ago, and we went out and ordered pizza immediately afterwards, and we have not had one problem since. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Tell us a little about what all Jesus done for you. How'd that happen that day? Um, How long uh, had you had the problem? Had it all your life, okay? Yep. Um, mine hurt right here. It felt like I had fire going right. Felt my like my leg was on fire. It really, really hurt, and it would last all day long. And it just really hurt. And then we came down here, and there and prayed over us, and the Lord healed me. Praise the Lord! So now you can eat anything you want, huh? Yep. Yep. And he's growing. Praise the Lord! That's the good part, right? Yep. Is Jesus wonderful or is He wonderful? He's wonderful. He's wonderful. Praise the King. We love it. Praise the Lord. Lord, may you bless this boy in Jesus' name. It's wonderful to see the Lord do these wonderful things. Is there anybody else got another testimony that you want to come up and give it before we really get started in the teaching? If you have a testimony, come up. Tell us what the Lord's done for you, sir. And while you're talking in this, try to talk as close to me as you can, too, so that maybe they can hear you unless you talk extremely loud. I'll make this. My wife says I'm good at making a short story long, so I'll make <laughs> this as short as possible. Uh, actually, God's been working on me for several months or years, uh, but about uh, in the winter, last winter, for about 90 days, I woke up nearly every night, uh, 3 o'clock, and... Uh, Anyways, it was like be awake two or three hours and couldn't get any rest. And finally, I said, "Okay, God, I'm 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 ready to give it up. What is it?" And He said, "Make things right with Bruce." And it's a guy that I've taken advantage of in business. And uh, so, anyways, uh, I I did that. Well, I made an agreement to do it, and I went to, every time I'd go to the lake to where uh, Bruce was on weekends. I'd 
uh, go out there and he wouldn't be there. But finally, I got his phone number three weeks ago to call him. And uh, on the while we were going out to uh, Possum Kingdom, my son and I, to deliver a canvas package for a boat out there, my truck stopped working like it's supposed to. The transmission stopped shifting and the check engine light came on. And when I got back to town, uh, back to Sherman, I put it in the shop to see what it's going to be what, uh, take to fix it. And I, this is after I'd heard you, and I was thinking to myself, I shouldn't put this in the shop. I should ask God to fix this thing, you know, get myself straight. But at any rate, I didn't do that. I put it in the shop. It cost me $150 because I didn't do that. But they told me it's going to cost two grand to fix my truck. And uh, when I got the shop, got out of the shop, I decided I wasn't going to fix it. And I just told them, I just, you know, I said, God, please fix my truck. I trust you to do it. And I went about my business the next day. And uh, the, when I got up the next morning, the check engine light had gone out and the transmission shifted. And uh, but I still hadn't called Bruce. And I took care of my business till noon that day, or almost till noon. And I decided I'm going to go call. I'm going to go see Bruce right now. And I went out the lake and I told him what was going on and asked him to forgive, uh, forgive me. And he said, okay. And I said, let me make restitution. He says, you'll do whatever's right. He said, if you hadn't told me about this, I'd never know about it. And I don't think that's true, but he, he probably would have. The God had figured it out. I'd make him know it. But at any rate, after I agreed to what we do on restitution, one of the things I'm going to do is it, it's going to be real easy. I just have to put a headliner in his boat, which is only about a $2,000 job. And uh, when I went back to my truck, uh, the check engine light is out, and the transmission's worked ever since, and that's been like a week and a half, two weeks. And this Monday this past week, uh, got arranged for us to get a trailer back that we had stolen from us a couple of years ago. And so, anyway, I know these little things are really important. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. What happened? Did he completely quit? I said, something happened. Let's see what happened. Maybe I thought, I started to say, I thought it sounded like it uh, completely quit working there. Uh, Testing, testing, testing. Testing, testing, testing. Testing, testing, testing. I guess that battery was just throw that one away. All right, now that we're now that's a whole lot better, isn't it? Yeah. Whole lot better. Isn't it amazing what happens with power? Without power you're dead in the water. With power, you're alive in the water. So it's amazing. Okay, praise the Lord. It's, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit about what he said. He had, was having, he had a, uh, after he'd been here last time, the Lord convicted him that he needed to be making restitution with a friend, with a man anyway, and uh, something had happened. And so he decided to, he hadn't done that, and so the transmission quit working in his pickup and the check engine light come on and he asked the Lord what was going on and the Lord told him he needed to make restitution with a man. So he said, uh, he tried to call him several times, couldn't find him. Finally he did find him. He made restitution with the man and after he made restitution with the man, got everything right, he went out and got in his truck which had already taken to a transmission shop that said it's going to cost $2,000 to fix it and he went out there after he made restitution and cranked his truck up and the check engine light was off and the transmission worked perfect. It's been two weeks ago. It's been working perfect ever since. Something like that. Is that right? So it was. it's quite an awesome story. You know, we don't realize how many ways we open the door to the devil and he'll come, on, come into us not only to mess up our life but our vehicles. 
and our homes and everything. See, the Lord says if you hold a grudge against someone, it'll open the door to the devil, not only to torment you, but your wife, your children, your houses, your lands, and everything you own, which is your cars, your boats, your motorcycles, all kinds of things. It just, it's awesome. But see, God made all those statements. Why do you think in John 15 that we read a while ago that we closed out on, when we read a whole bunch of there in John, why do you think the Lord told us so many times I command you to love one another. I command you to love one another. Now, it's easy to love somebody that's easy to be loved. But when you find somebody that's not easy to be loved, it's a little bit more difficult, isn't it, Terry? <laughs> no, but when Frank don't teach you just exactly right, it's not quite as easy to love him on the days when he's a really good boy, right? <laughs> and it's still required. There you go. It's still required. But you've learned your lesson well, haven't you? So praise the Lord. That's a hard lesson to learn when you've learned it like Terry did. Praise the Lord. But she learned it like most of us have, the hard way. Now then, I'm going to start. I'm going to cover just a few little odds and end things here before I get into this other. Proverbs 3 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. You reckon that's good advice? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And verse 8 says, If you fear the Lord and depart from evil, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So what is it that's going to bring health to your flesh and strength to your bones? Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Now then, what is going to happen if you don't fear the Lord and you don't depart from evil? What's He going to bring to you? Sickness and disease and weak bones and broken bones. That's really quite simple, isn't it? I mean, Jesus the one said it, and He said... Then in verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Honor the Lord with what? Your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. The first fruits of all your increase. You think that's important? Well, I mean, it's only if you want to be blessed, right, Frank? Now, if you want to live broke and poor and in poverty and sickness and disease, it's not important, is <laughs> it? But there's not any of us want to live there, do we? It's a whole lot better to... For, because he says in verse 9, If you honor the Lord... Actually, it doesn't say if, but it means the same thing. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And this is the reason why in verse 10. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your baths will overflow with new wine. Now, do you want to have money in the bank? And, and, and have no sickness and disease? then you got to honor the Lord with your possessions. In other words, you got to give Him the first fruits of all of your increase. You know what that means? Tithe. Wherever you go to church, make sure you tithe. And now, if, what if you don't tithe? Well, then all these things are not going to be yours. It's that simple. And that's what's wrong with us in the church today. See, God is no respecter of persons. He's made these rules. He's made these requirements. And He don't care if it's me or you or whoever it is. If we are obedient to do what He says, then He has to do for us what He promised to do. If we don't do what He says, He will do to you the bad things too. And it doesn't make it who you are either, does it? So, let me tell you, since, he has no, since He's no respecter of persons, He has no favorites, you can't get by with anything in the spirit world. Now, there was a great lesson I learned when I learned as a young man growing up 
that if I went out and, and I love uh, fast cars, I, I built race engines and, and all that kind of stuff, and I love to drive fast. Well, as long as I was on the racetrack, it was no big deal. I mean, I could drive 100, 120 miles an hour on a racetrack, and it's no problem, and nobody would stop me. But when I started home from the racetrack on Sunday afternoon, if I wanted to drive 80 or 90 on the highway, it was a problem. You know, somebody else thought I shouldn't do that. Because just because the speed limit sign back in those days when I was raised up said 55, that's the fastest speed limit anywhere that I'd ever seen when I was a young man growing up 55. Well, 55, I mean, I didn't hardly get out of low gear at 55. <laughs> you know, I'm ready to throw up second, go up to 70 or 80, and then throw her over high and let her roll. You know, I mean, I love to race cars. But unfortunately, the police didn't see it my way. And so every time they caught me, every time they caught me, didn't catch me all the time, thank goodness. But every time they did, I got a ticket. Well, the thing I learned before too long, I either had a choice to make, I either stopped driving, whoops, this thing's still cutting out a little bit, so I either stopped driving fast, or I give all my money to the police department. So which way am I going to go? Well, I finally, after I lost my driver's license two times, I finally decided that it was time to do it their way. And so I started doing it their way. And guess what happened when I started doing it their way? No more tickets, didn't lose my driver's license no more, and everything went good. Well, I only got caught a few of the times I did it, but it was enough to cost me tremendous consequences. But when I learned the police officers in the spirit world is Satan and his demons, and they're watching you all the time. You don't ever get by with nothing. So if you break these spiritual rules that God's made in the spiritual realm, you get caught every time. Now then he says, just like he says here in Proverbs 3, he says, Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Now if you fear the Lord and depart from evil, they know it. they watching you. They know you're not out doing all the things that people do. And he says, And if you will fear the Lord and depart from evil, it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So, when I began to get a hold of this, I thought, now, how in the world do they do that? How does those evil spirits do those kind of things? Well, I began to understand that those scorpions or those demons, they have the right to come right inside my flesh. They come inside my flesh, and they torment me, and they make my bones weak, and they make sickness and disease come upon me, and what gives them the legal right to do it? my disobedience to the Word of God. Now then somebody said, well, I'll get by with that. No, you won't get by with it. In the secular world, you might go out here on the highway and drive here to Justin 80 miles an hour and not get caught. You may do it eight or ten times, but I can assure you that one day there's going to be a police officer sitting down there and he's, you're going to go by and he's going to say, hey, that guy's speeding and he's going to take off after you and give you a ticket. And so you get caught. Maybe one out of five times or one out of ten times, but you will get caught. But in the spirit world, it works a little bit more precise than that. They're watching you all the time. And they know exactly where you live. Uh, Joshua, I don't know. Uh, could you go in Tim's office in there and that last thermostat, or not the last one, the, the very first thermostat, when you're looking at the thermostat, the one on the bottom is for his office. The second one is for this room. The very first one on the left. See if you can 
figure out how to put that on or something. It's too many people that's getting too warm. Something, either they've turned it off or something. It's got a microprocessor on it, and I, I hope you'll be able to figure it out. It's really not that complex, but anyway, it's got a computer in it. And he's pretty good. He's sharp. He can do it in the name of Jesus. You notice how quick I corrected myself there, right? He can do it in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Yep. So it will be health to your flesh if you will fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Now, the average Christian don't read these kind of things like that. They just don't realize what it's saying. But you've got to realize what it's saying. And then he says also, honor the Lord. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your provisions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new vine. Why? But the average person thinks that their health is going to be revolved around just working, uh, maybe eating the right things, uh, going to a doctor for a checkup and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what's going to do it. Who holds the purse strings to your health? God. Who holds the purse strings to your finances? God. Can he turn on and off either one of them? Yes, he most definitely can. So what's going to make the, what's going to make the difference? your obedience or disobedience to his word. So if he releases you to the demonic spirits, you're in trouble. And in Proverbs ten twenty two says, The blessings of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, is it wonderful to be rich with sorrow? No. It's wonderful to be rich with no sorrow. Now then, I've seen people say, Well, Thurman, I know John Doe. He, goes to, he don't go to church and he's got a great big company and he makes millions of dollars. I said, yeah, I don't doubt that. But hang around and watch what happens to the guy. His kids will all get on drugs. He'll lose them all. Or he'll be sick and afflicted. He'll get to be 40 years old and he'll get on drugs and alcohol, start running around with wild women and all that kind of stuff. And first thing you know, he is broke. And I know a few men. I have a few friends like that now that have come into the kingdom of God. Some of those guys were already millionaires by the time they were 35 years old. Already worth a million dollars. But they got off on the drugs, alcohol, wine, women, and a song. And first thing you know, they died, or some of them died, with a venereal disease or some kind of serious disease or whatever, or they lost everything they had. Their families, their wives, everything. So let me tell you, it's terrible to have riches and have all the sorrow that goes with it. But if you serve the Lord, it says the blessings of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Is that where you want to live? I don't know about you, but that's where I want to live. So how are you going to do it? God's way. People say, well, I don't believe in going to church. Okay. Stay at home and be cursed if you want to. It's your choice. You know, it just depends on what. That's just like coming to a healing school. I hear people all the time say, Would you come to my house and pray for my mother or my aunt or my dad or whatever? And I said, Well, I'm having a healing school Saturday. Come out there. Well, how long is it? Well, from one to five. Oh, my goodness. We could never sit through a healing school for four hours. I said, Well, you're going to sit somewhere. So why not sit under God's Word in a nice soft chair? What are you going to do this afternoon? Well, I thought I'd stay home and watch TV. I said, so you're going to sit in the chair and feed yourself the things of the world 
and you're wondering why you're sick and afflicted? I said, I can tell you now what your problem is. You know, you're, you need to start serving God. So, if you can't come and sit through a healing school and hear God's Word, you're going to sit somewhere and do something right. Somewhere, you're going to sit somewhere. And let me, let me read to you in Jeremiah 7, starting verse 16, some of the things that God has to say about those people that won't do these things. Jeremiah 7, 16, Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or a prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. Oh, oh, that's what I say. Wow. So for this, some people, is it, does it do any good to pray for them, Terry? Obviously it don't, right? We wonder why will we cry and pray for certain people and they've been living out there in the devil's world all this time and they're not willing to walk holy before God and they've been serving the devil and they won't go to church and they won't tithe and this is what was wrong here. Therefore do not pray for this people nor lift up a cry or prayer for them nor make intercession to me for I will not hear you. Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods that they may provoke me to anger. Now, if they're baking cakes for the queen of heaven, I don't remember anywhere reading where God was a queen. Have you? He's the king of the universe. He is definitely a male. Now then, I don't want any of you ladies to be offended, but God's not a female. He's a male. He made us male and female, but he's a male. And if we don't believe God's a male, when he came to this earth, was he a female or a male when he walked on the earth? He was a male. He was a man. He was not a female. And also one of the things that strikes me extremely strange, that the angels, you see so many statues and pictures of angels, and the majority of them are females. But nowhere, not one time in the Scripture, is there ever a female angel. Never. Oh, you got one? No, Frank, you ain't got a female angel. That's quite a compliment to you, Terry. He looks at you, but Frank, really you have something better than a female angel. You have a female daughter of the king. And that's even better. You have a princess of the king of the universe, and that's much better. Praise God. Now then, after all these things there in Jeremiah 11, also verse 14, he says, Jeremiah 11:14 says, So do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or a prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry out to me because of their trouble. So we have to realize that if people go so far today, as they did back in that day, do you reckon if people got so off track in worshiping other gods? Now that seems to be the part that really, really takes God off. You know, is when people worship other gods. You know, so I mean, there's a lot of things you can do that He'll just forgive you in a heartbeat. But if you get into this occult stuff and you start worshiping other gods, anytime you start worshiping other gods, who is the only other god on the universe? The devil and his demons. That's who the God of this other God is. And so the Lord don't like it when we worship Him. 
and he does not like that he still does not like that and then in verse Proverbs 15 just a couple more verses here and then we'll get into some other stuff Proverbs 15 8 says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord and the prayer of the upright is his delight the way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness now then if you follow after righteousness the Lord loves you he wants you to walk holy before him and in verse 29 of Proverbs 15 says the Lord is far from the wicked but he heareth the prayers of the righteous now do you want the king to hear your prayers yes okay now then some of the things about receiving your healing today uh, number one is you must understand and know that it is God's will to heal you every time it is his will not only is it his will to heal you but he healed you on the cross uh, 2,000 years ago it's already a done deal so I don't know what's going on here wait a minute let me let me sit let me start over here I think what's happening this thing's falling off my head I was getting too close to my mouth that's what the deal was it's hard to keep that thing over my ears like that but anyway now that's better but you must know you must know that the will of the Lord is to heal you every time and when you get a hold of that you can fight these battles of faith you can stand in faith knowing just like whenever this young man over here uh, Caleb is that your name? Caleb little Caleb uh, when they were here last month and uh, I told him I said remember son that God is a faith God he expects you to believe so I said and of course I didn't remember he had the fire in his leg but uh that, that's just an evil spirit how many of you know that's a demon that's what that is that's a demon tormenting that little boy in his leg and his stomach and I told him I said I'm going to drive out that devil and then I'm going to lay hands on you and pray for you and Jesus is going to heal you because he promised it I said then all we got to do is know it's done and when you leave here you need to go eat something that you couldn't eat before and so of course since he likes pizza he's not supposed to eat pizza I mean now it's the perfect time to prove to God that and to the devil that I mean business. I'm going to go down there and put on the feed bag and eat a pizza. And that's what he did. He went down there and put on the feed bag and eat a pizza. And now then he's eating anything he wants. We've had several children that have been miraculously healed from those kind of things. Now then, the devil will do the best he can to steal these awesome things away from you. Now then, I want to take you to some of the magnificent promises in God's Word, uh, we've talked about several already, but these are ones that specifically talk about healing. And if you have God's Word in your heart, then you can be healed. And it must become a reality to you. It must become a revelation from here to here. When you get it in your heart, you will know that it is God's will to heal you. Now, trying to be healed before you know what God's will is like trying to raise a crop without planting a field, planting your seed. You just cannot do it. And praying without faith will not heal you. You must never use the faith-destroying phrase, if, in any prayer for healing. Don't ever use if when you're praying for God's ability to heal you. Because it is always His will to heal you. Now then, I mean, I hear, hear so many people, and, and men that's supposed to be in doctors of theology and everything else that say it's absolutely not God's will to heal everybody every time I'm going to make this statement 
If it is not God's will to heal everyone every time, and He is a faith God, and you must believe by faith without no doubt in your heart that He is going to heal you before He will heal you, if it's not His will to heal every one of us every time, if that was true, how many of us could stand in faith knowing it's God's will to heal you? How many of you could? Nobody. Nobody. Now let me ask you this. I'll put this much simpler. Do you believe that when Jesus said, it is the Father's will to save the whole world? Now, does that mean God wants to save the whole world? Okay, if He said, it is the Father's will to save the whole world, what if He had said, it is the Father's will to save everybody in the world except one person? From the time of the creation until the end of the age, He's going to save every person that will believe except one. How many people would be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt you were not that one? Nobody. So nobody could have faith to be healed or to be saved. But if he says, I come to save the whole world, then it's real easy to lock on to this and say, Lord, it's your will for me to be saved. So I'm going to receive you as my Savior by faith in your word. Well, in the Scriptures, the very same word, save, is the word sozo, which means heal. So it's exactly the same thing. So it is God's will to heal every one of us every time. So when you get a hold of that, and you know it's His will, and you know that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. So if you're in Christ, it is God's will to heal you every time, just like it's His will to save you every time. So then we come down to one of these magnificent promises in James 5, verses 14 through 16, that says that prayer of faith will heal the sick. Now, I do not understand beyond a shadow of a doubt how we mess this up. But this says, now I want you to follow along with me in your Bible and see if your Bible reads like mine does, because it says, If any sick among you, any sick among you, I really don't understand why this thing is cutting out like that unless I'm pushing a button somewhere on this thing that I don't know about. I don't I don't know what's going on, but it maybe there's something there. I'll stick it back in and we'll try it again. Amen. Pray over everybody in the name of Jesus. Okay. Okay. We got it's, it's it's running though now, right? Yeah. It's 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 uh Joshua got the air condition turned on. It's uh, I, I, it, isn't the air coming in those ducts? Yeah. I, I I thought I felt it. It's uh, it's been turned off for a little while, so uh, it just uh, you just have to take it easy and just believe. It'll get cool. James five fourteen fifteen sixteen. I want you to see a guarantee from God to heal every one of us every time if we believe Him. Now, James five fourteen says, "If any sick among you, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord." And the prayer of faith. Now, not a prayer of if it be your will but a prayer of faith. A prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, 
And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, there is a guarantee right there to heal any sick among you. Now, is it God's will to heal any of you at every, any time, every time? I mean, according to the Word, it is. But now, we used that verse on Ed Brock in 1986. 1986, Ed Brock had been diagnosed with stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. And it came down to the point where he only had a few days left to live when we prayed over him. Now, he called us together. We prayed over him on a Monday night at 7 o'clock. And a man that was only supposed to live a few days to maybe a few weeks began immediately to get just a little bit better. And a little bit better, and a little bit better, and a little bit better. And over the next three or four weeks, he went from a man that had no hope. When he went back in, the doctors checked him, and they said, We do not understand. This thing that was all over your body appears to be going away. So when it appeared to be going away, now then when it was all over his body, they knew there was no hope, so they was just going to send him home to die. But whenever we prayed over him, anointed him with oil, and it began to go away, now they said, we think you can be helped, so we send you down to MD Anderson for some chemo treatment. Isn't that amazing? And he went. So it took a total of six months, and after a total of six months, at the end of that six months, Ed Brock had absolutely no cancer left in his body. And he was amazed, and the doctor told him before he left, he said, Mr. Brock, we don't understand. When you come down here, originally your chemo, was, I mean your uh, cancer, was beyond anything we'd seen that you could be healed. But when it started going away, and we started giving you the treatments, you responded so wonderfully with a half a dozen other people in the same stage you were when you started and said in the last few months, every one of those people have died. But you have been completely healed. So we don't understand this. So Ed was extremely glad that there was no cancer left in his body. Test confirmed it. He goes out and gets in his vehicle and starts back to Dallas. And he reaches over and hits the play button because his wife had bought him the New Testament on tape. Reaches over and hits the play button. He says, Thurman, you'll never guess the scripture that came up. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. He said that verse played completely through, and then the tape recorder shut off automatically, and God spoke to me and said, Ed, it was not M.D. Anderson that healed you. It was me. And Ed said he had to stop, pull off the side of the road, tears come up in his eyes, and he absolutely could not drive for a few minutes. And after he regained his composure and drove home praising the Lord, that happened in 1986, and today, 2004, that man is still completely cancer-free and still alive and well today. Does God's words work? Yes, it works. Now, why did it take six months? Well, I learned another great lesson. I learned that Ed was coming to church every time the door was open, but Monday morning when he left, he didn't think about God until next Sunday morning. Now, do you think God likes it just one day a week? I don't think so, because he said in Psalms 106, starting with about verse 14 and 15, because you have forgotten me and all the wonderful things I've done for you, I have sent leanness under your soul, unless you're reading the King, I mean, that's the King James and the New King James, but if you're reading the NIV, it says I've sent a wasting disease to destroy you. So if you forget who God is, 
according to the Word of God, He will send a wasting disease to destroy you. Now, I don't think it's a good idea to forget who He is, do you? I think I'd rather spend a little time with the King every day and praise Him and worship Him and thank Him and tell Him how much I love Him. It's amazing what God will do for you if you tell Him you love Him regularly. It's amazing. It even makes a difference when you tell... Have I told you today how much I love you? <laughs> Praise the Lord. It makes a difference, doesn't it? When you tell your mate how often you love them. You know, and they love it. And some guys said, well, yeah, I, I told my wife when we married 30 years ago that I loved her. If I change my mind, I'll tell her. No, guys, let me tell you, that's not often enough. She don't... That won't get it done. She needs that reaffirming every morning and then after breakfast and then at lunch and then in the afternoon when you come in and then just before you go to bed and then about three or four times before you go to sleep. You need to look over in her eyes and tell her, Honey, how beautiful you are and I want you to know I still love you. So it doesn't hurt to tell them several times a day. They'd like to hear that. So anyway, God is no different. He wants to know, Do you still love me? Are you willing to do what I tell you to do? You, we ought to be saying yes. And of course, one of the things we should, we all do far too often, I'm trying to get out of the habit, never eat or drink anything without blessing it in the name of the Lord. And I just happened to think, Lord, those two cups of water I had out there a while ago, I walked out there and somebody was talking to me and I forgot to bless them in the name of Jesus. Forgive me, Lord, I didn't do that. It's amazing how easy we forget these things. But James 5.14, is that a guarantee to heal you from God? So if you do that and you stand on that and you get prayed for and you're not well in a week, does that mean it's not God's will to heal you? No, if you're not well in a week or a month, is it still not His will to heal you? No, He's still working. How long did it take Ed Brock? Six months. So don't doubt. Believe it's yours and stand on the Word. Stand on the Word totally. And a couple of months from now, when we have Emily here, I, uh, it was, took her a year. So anyway, make sure you stand on the Word of God. Now then, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 8, starting at verse 8, your miracle is in your mouth. According to Romans 10, 8, this is where your miracle is, is in your mouth. Romans 10, 8 says, But what saith it? The Word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and shall believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be healed. You will be healed. Anybody reading that with me? You got your Bible open to that place? Is that what your Bible said? What does your Bible say there? You'll be saved. You know what the word saved is in the Greek? Sozo. You know, what the, you know what the word sozo means in the Greek? It means saved, healed, made whole, preserved, delivered. All five of those things. So then did I read that verse accurately? Yes, I did. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, the Father raised Him from the dead, you will be healed. For those of you that don't know, that verse right there is the one that set me free 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I locked on to that verse. When I got a hold of the fact that the miracle was in my mouth, in my heart, 
the word of faith that we preach, that if I will confess with my mouth and believe with my heart, the Father raised me from, raised him from the dead, I would be sozoed, healed, saved, made whole, delivered. When I got a hold of that, I realized that I had to receive Jesus Christ as my healer by faith, just like I had to receive him as my Savior by faith. So when I received Jesus as my Savior, I was only 11 years old. I was saved, but that's all I knew. So I received him as Savior, I got saved. I've been saved ever since. But I didn't know until just 20 years ago that he was my healer. And so the day that I learned from the Scripture that Jesus saved me and healed me and delivered me and did everything on the cross 2,000 years ago, and it's already a done deal, and now then the miracle's in my mouth, and am I willing to confess that or not, that's what made the difference. So how many people do you know in the world today? That do, does anybody in here know anybody or have a friend or a loved one that's lost? Everybody has one, right? If you have people that you love or even close to you in your own family that are lost and Jesus paid the price for them and saved them on the cross 2,000 years ago, then why in the world is there anybody on the earth lost? Why? Because they are not willing to believe the promises. Now, maybe they don't know the promise, and that's probably the thing, if they don't know, but of course some people, you can read this to them and they still will not believe it. They say, I don't believe that. Well, who is it that's blinding their mind to the truth? The devil. Sure, the God of this world. Satan has blinded their mind to the gospel because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 clearly says that if there's any lost on this earth, they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the gospel. Now then, if they're blinding their mind to the gospel as far as salvation, the same devil is blinding our mind to the gospel of healing because healing was done 2,000 years ago when salvation was done. It's already ours. So technically speaking, we do not have to ask God to heal us. He's already done it. What we have to do is take the Word of God and drive away the devil after our sins are all confessed because he's there because of sin. So when we confess our sins and walk holy before God and we drive the devil out with the Word of God and then ask the Father in Jesus' name to send the Holy Spirit to restore everything in our flesh that the devil messed up, then he does that and we get healed. But now the secret is don't ever need a healing. Walk in divine health. If you learn how to talk, learn how to walk with no sin in your life, then by the stripes of Jesus you can walk healed. And you won't never need a doctor. You won't never need any kind of medication. And if you learn to claim the promises of God and all these wonderful things we're going to go to, you can claim that the Lord is my Savior, He's my healer, He's, he, he's the fountain of youth for me. You know, when you learn how to talk, when you learn how to talk, nothing is impossible to the children of God. Nothing. He, that's what the king said. Now, I'm just repeating what he said. So it depends on, can you believe that? Well, most people cannot. But what, I couldn't either for the most part of my life. But now I'm beginning to learn these wonderful promises are man. And where is our miracle? In our mouth. If you learn to confess God's Word and you've got it in your heart, what's coming from your heart is going to come out of your mouth. So when you start saying, if Jesus said it, that's good enough for me. It's done.
and you start confessing that, you will see that your health will be fa- uh, rapidly recovering. But the beautiful part about this is walk in love and don't ever get sick. That's the best place to be. Walk in love and don't ever get sick. I mean, the mentality of most people is it's not possible for me to live without being sick. We all get sick once in a while somewhere. I mean, you have a headache once in a while. No, a headache is coming from the devil. If you have a headache, rebuke it, drive it away. Command it to leave in the name of Jesus. Don't buy into that lie from the devil. Don't go to the medicine cabinet the first time you have a headache. Make sure you have no sins in your life. Make sure you're not holding any grudges. Make sure you're not talking evil about someone. Make sure you're not not t- telling stories on somebody. Make sure you're not even quoting facts about someone. Be, be very careful what comes out of your mouth. Then rebuke the devil and command that headache to leave, that spirit of pain. Drive it away in the name of Jesus, and you can walk without them. I can remember as a young person when the headaches used to come up on me so severe that I, I'd have to lay in a bed and just lay there, take a couple of B.C. powders. Mother said that was the strongest thing she knew of back in those days. And I could lay there in torment and suffering for hours with a severe headache. But when I got a little older and learned who I was and what these things were coming from, they were the devil, I began to take authority over them and rebuke them and drive them away. I don't have headaches anymore. Praise God. I don't have them no more. I learned they're from the devil, and I don't have to yield to that beast. A pain comes upon you, rebuke it. Drive it away in the name of Jesus. You do not have to put up with it. Now then, let's go to a few more scriptures that are very clear that proves that healing is for us today. And we'll start in Isaiah 53, starting with verse 1. Who has believed our report? That's the very first thing. Who has believed this report of the Lord? It's unfortunate that so many people don't believe this report. But he starts out asking, who's going to believe this report? Who has believed it? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who do you think the arm of the Lord is revealed to? The obedient. If you're disobedient, he will not reveal these things to you. You must get your sins confessed and walk holy before God before these things will be revealed to you. And then he goes on down there in verse 3. He says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs or pains, and carried our sorrows or sicknesses. Yet we did esteem him smitten, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now then, if Jesus, according to verse 4, if he carried our griefs or our pains, and if he bore our grief or pain, and that word, by the way, in the Hebrew, that's translated grief here, it's translated almost every place else. It is used many other places. It's, it's translated pain. And he said, and carried our sorrows. And that word there, which is a different word, in every, almost every place else in the Hebrew is translated sickness. So he's carried our, he's bore our grief and carried our sorrows, or he's bore our pains and carried our sicknesses. And when you read that, Let's go on over to Matthew 8, uh, 16 and 17. And I want to confirm to you again what the Lord says in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. He says, When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. What did he do to get these people healed? 
cast out the devils. He cast out these evil spirits. Now then, when you start doing this, this seems to be the most absurd thing you can imagine because can you see a demon normally? No, they're invisible. They come from the spirit world. Since the spirit world can attack your flesh and cause you to be sick and afflict you, when you sin, if you will not sin, or if you have sinned, and you open the door and one of them comes in and begins to make you sick or torment you, the thing to do is repent and then drive him away. Now, a lot of people will repent of their sin, but they won't take that second step and cast out the devil. But you have to drive out the devil. Once he gets in, he stays in. If you don't drive him away, he will not leave. So you must drive him away. In other words, just like depression, all kinds of things, anger, rage, all these things are spirits. Fear, these are spirits. The Lord says there on his word. You can pray all you want to for fear to leave you, and it won't do no good. You can pray all you want to for anger to leave you, and it won't do any good. The thing to do is make sure your sins are all repented of. Turn and speak to that spirit of fear in the name of Jesus and demand that leave you according to Luke 10, 19, and 20. When you do that, it will go away. It may not go away the first time you do it because the devil's going to put you to the test. He's not going to give up and he's not going to lay down so easily. But you have the power to drive him away in the name of Jesus. Here in Matthew eight seventeen, Jesus said, now this is the fulfillment of what we just read in Isaiah 53, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now then, if Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, there's no use in you and me both having it. I mean, there's no use in him and you both having these sickness and disease if he bore them for you, if he took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, why in the world do we carry them also? But probably because we don't know. So when we learn, we can drive the enemy away and say, no thank you devil, because Jesus bore my sickness, removed my disease, I'm not going to be sick. I am driving you away in the name of Jesus. Now you go and you stay away. Now I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. So thank you Lord for completely healing me. Now, if you drive away the devil, and he's done all kinds of damage to your flesh, he's put cancer or whatever on your body, and you drive him away, and he's gone, and we pray over him, your pain goes away, that's the perfect indication that you're healed. But it may take a few days or a few weeks or even a few months for the Holy Spirit to completely, totally restore everything the devil's messed up. So it depends on him, and of course he can restore it in a heartbeat. And I've seen him do that. But he does not do that every time. So if the Lord does not completely restore you in a heartbeat, don't give up. When you pray, believe it is done in the name of Jesus. Now many things he heals instantly. But if you do not get your full manifestation of your healing, when we pray for you, don't give up. Stand in faith, believing it's done. And if you have no doubt in your heart... God has to do what he said he would do in his word. He cannot lie. So, the devil will make you think, you know, that he's not going to do it for you before it's already done. And then 1 Peter 2.21. These are some powerful scriptures. 1 Peter 2.21-24. He says here, 
For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. So the example that you and me are supposed to follow was the same one Jesus did. What he did. Somebody said, I could never be like Jesus. Then you just call the king a liar. He said, you can't. If you said, I can't do that, then you just slapped the king in the face and told him you didn't believe what he said. I don't think that would make the king happy with us, do you? I don't think so. He says we can. And then here's the example. Verse 22, who did no sin. How much sin? No sin. So what is our goal? No sin. Of course, this is all over the Bible, especially the New Testament. So our goal is no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. No guile in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Now, how difficult is it for you to meet that criteria when somebody really gets on your case? Is it easy to retaliate? Is it difficult when somebody's standing there reading you the right act and telling you all the bad things, especially if you've got a, a spouse, a, a husband or a wife that's reading the other one the right act, how difficult is it for the more spiritual one to sit there and listen to it and not come back. Is it difficult? It is? It is. Y'all agree, it is. Huh? Can it be done? Yes, it can. Now, who's going to have to control you to make that work? The Holy Ghost. I can assure you, you will not be able to do that on your own. You'll have to let the Holy Ghost control you. Because you can let someone say something. And if you're not careful, you can let the devil move in and put a statement in your brain to make you hear something different than you actually heard it. And when he does that, it can light your fire. I've seen it several times in my life. I've seen, in fact, I remember one day on the tape, I made a statement. And a guy come to me months later. And he said, boy, did you offend me that day? You said this. When he said that, I said, I don't think I said that. I mean, if I did, I totally said it, you know, unbeknowing of me, because I said, I don't believe it like that. He said, that's the way I heard it that day in that seminar. I said, praise God that I tape everything I do. I said, let's go back and look at the tape. We went back, got the tape, and come back, and what I said was nowhere close to what he said. Isn't that amazing how the enemy had taken what I had said and over the next few days totally turned it around and the more he repeated it, the further he got from the truth. And so if I hadn't had the tape, you know, I couldn't have said, hey, I don't think I said that. I just almost know I didn't make this statement. He said, I know you said that. I was sitting there. I heard you say that. Said, well, a way to find out. Let's go get the tape. One got the tape and sat there and watched it. Guarantee what he said, I said was not anywhere close to what I actually said. When I'm standing there talking on a tape and I'm listening to it, watching myself, and I make a statement that's not anywhere close to what he said, we got it in black and white and color right there. So that's the proof. Now then, how many people misunderstood Jesus? Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, let you hear. Some people said, wow, I heard a voice. Others said, no, it thundered. There's a big difference in hearing a voice and hearing a thunder, right? I mean, can you imagine? Some said an angel spoke. Others said, no, he just thundered. So did people hear different things? Yes, they do. So when you say, Jesus, by his stripes you were healed, 
They said, oh, I, I got that. By his stripes I was healed. Well, the first part of the verse says, to walk in this, you have to use Jesus' example. In him there was no sin. Now, wait a minute. I can't possibly go without sin. Oh, you can't? Well, it says, no sin, no deceit, no guile, you know, no threatening when people do you harm. Well, now, Thurman, nobody could live there. Well, now, wait a minute. That's not what the Word says. The Word says you can. Did the Word say you can? Now, if the Word says you can do all those things, then in verse uh, 24, it says, We his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. Now, if we've died to sin, we should live unto righteousness. Does that mean every Christian is going to live unto righteousness? No. Some of them are going to still live carnally. Some of them are still going to live just like the world does. But he said we should live unto righteousness. And it, but if we do all those things he said, then what's the last line in verse 24 say? By whose stripes you were healed. Now then, if you meet the criteria of the above verses, and you walk holy before God, do you have to be sick anymore? No. It's better to walk in divine health than it is to walk in sickness and disease. But you've got to do it God's way. Guess who the healer is? Jesus. He is everything. Now then, we've already discussed Mark 11, 22 through 26 today. And then after... That one I want to take us to Hebrews ten thirty five and thirty six. Hebrews ten thirty five and thirty six. This is a very, very, very important scripture after you've been prayed for for healing. Hebrews ten thirty five and thirty six. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience. Well, that's something we don't do well. We don't do patience well. For we have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So that mean every one of us is going to get instantly healed? Nope. God's working on you. He's doing something through you. Now some of you will get your instantaneous healings. And I love it when people get this. I love it when this little young boy, Cato, over here comes in. We rebuke the devil. Pray over him. He goes out and eats a pizza. Isn't that wonderful? All young boys like pizza. Think what, what a grueling thing that would be if they couldn't eat pizza. But think what bad it would be if you couldn't eat nothing like he was talking about. Man, he was on a very limited diet. And it's all a devil. Yep, it's all a devil. He says, Cast not away therefore your confidence. What Confidence in what? The Word of God. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence in the Word, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive your promise. You have need of patience. Now then, that's okay, God, as long as it happens in the next 15 seconds, I'll be okay. But I can't wait for 30 seconds. I've got to have it right now. Well, guess who's not in a hurry? God's not in a hurry. That's absolutely right. He is not in a hurry. Then he says, and uh, let's just, let me ask this question. What is faith? Faith is the Word of God. Now then, let's look at what the 1 Timothy 4.1 says. I want to show you something here. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly 
that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Some shall depart from the faith. How are you going to depart from the faith unless you're a member of the faith? You've got to be a member of the faith before you can depart from it. And he says that they will give heed, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Do you think we've got something to be concerned about here? Yes, the devil's out there. And he's doing what he can. Now, I've heard several people lately tell me, Thurman, I don't believe there is such a thing as a devil. Well, let me tell you, he is very real. Very real. They said, well, I've had two or three people tell me lately, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe there's a devil. Well, where do you learn about God and the devil? The Bible. Does God say he's real in the Bible? Does he say there's a devil in the Bible? Okay, if God said in the Bible he's real and the devil's real, how can you read half of that book and only believe part of it? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they don't read it. It just went by what somebody else said. So if you go by what somebody else says, that's how we as Christians get in trouble. You know, we don't read the book for ourselves. When you start reading the book for yourself, you'll see this book is completely full of awesome promises. And that's why that people have called me a word man. They said, you know, I would have never believed the things you teach, but right there it is. You pointed out to me in the Word. If the Word says it and it's written in my Bible, then wow, i got a decision to make. I either got to believe it or not believe it. And since Jesus is the one that said it, I didn't write the book. And I'm so grateful that he has written this book. But he said, after we believe the doctrines of devils, he said, then they will speak in speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their consciences seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods or meats which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them, of them which believe and know the truth. Now, then one of the things that makes us sick today is eating the wrong foods or eating foods that are not blessed with prayer and thanksgiving. Now, if you eat foods and you eat a lot of junk food, you're doing devastating things to your body. But I will have to say that even if you have to stop and eat junk food once in a while, if you will pray over it and sanctify it with the Word of God, with prayer and thanksgiving, even it will be good for your body. It'll be good for your body. But don't put God to the test and eat a McDonald's hamburger three times a day. You know? I mean, it's okay if you're on a trip or something. You once in a while you run by the kids and they want to get a, a, a Burger King or a McDonald's hamburger or something. Uh, but, and, but make sure you pray over them now. Make sure you pray over them because who knows what all is in that meat today. You know, all the different things that's there. So make sure you don't never go by and get your kids or yourself a hamburger or something that you don't pray over it. Well, let me tell you, don't go down here to a five-star restaurant that's going to cost you $100 a plate and get what they eat, what they give you without praying over it either. If you happen to be one of those kind of people that goes to those kind of places, that's a little out of my league. You know, I don't go to places that charge 80 to 100 bucks a plate for food. I mean, you know, I'd a whole lot rather eat something a whole lot less, uh, you know, because I'm going to pray over it and thank God for it, and He's going to bless it, and it's going to do good for me anyway. But I'm just not one of those kind of guys that goes out uh, you know, eats that super high dollar food. But if you do, that's okay. As long as you got the money, that's okay. But whatever, whatever you eat here, when he's talking about, he says, uh, 
for, uh, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So if you believe and you know the truth, you know that you can put anything in your body, you can eat anything you want to as long as you eat it in the right proportions with thanksgiving and prayer. Don't go to bed every night and eat a half a gallon of bluebell before you go to bed. If you do, and first thing you know, you've got a hundred extra pounds on you and you can't function, you're weak and tired and everything else, I have your answer. The problem is you've been eating a half a gallon of bluebell every night before you went to bed. You know, what should you eat? Good foods in right proportions, keeping your body slim and trim. Now then, how many of you, and I won't ask you to hold your hand up, of course, but how many of you have ever worked diligently at living a fasted life? Now then, think about that. That's what the Lord tells us to do. Live a fasted life. I've had a lot of people through the years, since I used to work for a food operation, I was an engineer for a large corporation, that that's what they did, was prepared food to go on airplanes. So everywhere we were, there was food everywhere. I mean, that's all there was. You know, I mean, I mean, food everywhere, of every kind. Fancy stuff, the cheapest stuff, and everything in between. And everything, I could have had anything I wanted any day of any week, any time. Even when I'd go in the cafeteria sometimes, when I'd sit down, I'd always get reasonable portions. And the guy said, Thurman, you don't get much to eat. Look, it's free. Eat as much as you want. I said, that's all I need to maintain 170 pounds. That's all I need. And so I'm not going to sit here because it's free. I'm not going to gorge myself on all this food and get overweight. Well, now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be overweight. You know, last night I went out to the ministry center and I needed to hook up the faucets up underneath there to the sink, the sink there, and, and hook the faucets up, hook the drain up and everything. And I'm crawling around in, the, in between the two little partitions, the doors that are all about this wide, and I'm snaking myself in around and twisting my body like this so I can get up over top and take a pair of pliers and work and put those nuts and all things on that line. Now, if I'd had a pot belly on me about 60 extra pounds on there, I'd have been in trouble getting in that hole. I'd have been in trouble getting in there. I might have been able to have done it, but I might have had to take that center partition out to do it first, which meant I'd had to put it back in there. So, I mean, you can, you can go wherever you want to, you can live wherever you want to in life, because who is it that has control over what you weigh? You do. You do. Who is it that controls the flex of your elbow? I do. Yeah. You're going to control what you put in your mouth. And so, but when you put it in your mouth, what did the Lord say? Before you put it in your mouth, what are you supposed to do with it? Bless it with thanksgiving. That's right. It's all, it's all free to you. Now then, the several things, if you don't bless your food before you eat it, then I would suggest you stick to the Levitical law. Because the Levitical law gives you the foods that are good and clean for the body under normal conditions. Now then, if you like catfish, that's not one of the things that's under the Levitical law. You can't eat catfish if you're a Jew. You can't eat lobster. You can't eat shrimp. Now, I know some of y'all probably like shrimp and lobster and, and all this kind of stuff. There's many other things that you can't eat if you're a Jew and you're living under the law. But we're not Jews. We're Christians, and we're not under the law. We're under grace. So we can eat anything we want to as Christians as long as we take it with thanksgiving and prayer and eat the right proportions. You know, don't eat excessively. 
If you do, it will show upon you. That's just all there is to it. Again, God is no respecter of persons. Now, Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Now, faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. Now, this is what faith is. Faith is the Word of God and learning the promises of God, believing they are for you and that they work. Now, then, when you walk in, now, this is what faith is. I'll give you an, a very vivid example of what faith is. You walk into a hospital room like I did with Caitlin three years ago, and she tore all two pieces, and you look at her, and you see her, what are we prone to go by? What we see. Yeah. I mean, when you walk in and you see a little three-year-old girl, unrecognizable as a human being, face tore all to pieces, I mean, doctors telling you that, I mean, blood's running out ever, ever hold her body. I can see blood's running out. Face crushed, skull crushed, brainstem disconnected, eyes disconnected, all those things, knees crushed, legs broken, all those kind of things. The average Christians would have a little tendency to doubt that she would ever recover. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, nearly all of us. If it happened to me a few years earlier, I would have bought right into that lie. But by this time, I know the book pretty well. And so I know the promises of God. So since Jesus made me these promises, and he said if I walk in obedience to him, I could ask him for anything, and he'll do it for me. Now it depends upon how big is your God. When he says anything, what does anything mean? Does that mean anything up to a level right here? Or does that mean anything up to a level right here? Or anything up to a level right here? Or does that mean anything unlimited? With God, it means unlimited. He is not limited by anything. So when you get a hold of your God, is your God a great big God? Or was he like the one I had in the Baptist church when I was a young man and he was in a box about this big? This is about how big he was. About that big. I didn't have any clue who he was. Didn't have a clue. But now then my God's become a great big God. He fills the universe. And He's alive in you and me today. And whatever you and I can believe Him to do, that's what He'll do. He is a mighty God. Now then, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So you've got to believe things before, that you, before you see them. So when you start quoting the Word of God, you never go by what you see. You're never moved by what you see. You're never moved by your five physical senses. You must only be moved with what is written in God's Word. If God's Word says you can do something, you've got to believe. You've got to believe it is yours with no doubt in your heart. Now then, when you're there looking at that situation, like this young lady up here on the front row with that spider bite that she got on her arm, she stood in faith and the Lord completely healed it. I had one of those. I stood in faith and I completely received it, my complete healing. Now then, it says in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, it says, But without faith or without trust in the Word of God, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, how, how do you have to seek God? Diligently. You diligently seek God. So, 
if you will diligently seek him, what will he do for you? He will reward you. He will reward you just like he did Cheryl when she so diligently sought him for those 55 days for her daddy's life. She stood in bold faith for her daddy for 55 days. And today, I'm going to tell you, Cheryl's daddy, Howard Butler, is alive and well today because of that girl's faith right there. If she had not stood in the gap, Terry, for her daddy, he'd already be gone home. He'd be out of here. But she just told me. I said, you can fight this fight of faith, but it's going to be a fight. I said, you must stand in faith if you want to see your daddy live. She said, I am not ready for my daddy to die. I'm going to fight the fight of faith. Boy, when you take a woman that's persistent and she gets a hold of that, I'm telling you, she can, or a man either one. You know, they lock on to the Word of God and it's mine. And that's my daddy up there in heaven that made me them promises. And he loves me with all his heart. But he expects me to believe him and seek him diligently. I'm going to do it. And what did he do? He showed up for her. He healed her daddy. So now then, in Psalms 91, I want to show you some of the things in Psalms 91. Maybe we'll get through with Psalms 91, and then we'll finish out the day on this. In Psalms 91, the Lord says, starting in verse 1, that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. He's my God, and Him will I trust. If you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, you ever stop to think, what is or where is the secret place of the Most High? What is that? That's walking holy before God, spending time with Him every day, loving Him, serving Him, praising Him, thanking Him, walking in obedience to His Word every day, keeping yourself from evil, not getting out there and doing anything that's evil, walking holy before the Lord. When you do that, you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. Is there any sin in God? No. If there's no sin in God, if there's no sin in you, then you can dwell in the secret place. In other words, let's put it like this. In the Old Testament, the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies how many times a year? One time. On one day to pray for the people of, of, of the land. One time. Then did he have to have every sin confessed before he went in there? Yes. Did he have to have hope, be holy before he went in there? Yes. Everything. He had to meet all that criteria. So for you to enter the Holy of Holies, the secret place of the Most High God, in the third heaven, which in Hebrews 4.16 says, Come boldly into the throne of grace, you must meet the same criteria. Now, if you're walking in obedience to the Word, walking in faith, walking with your sins covered by the blood of Jesus, walking in love, you can go into the Holy of Holies to bring your petitions to God how often? Once a year? How often? Any time you want to. The door is open 24-7. Is that a privilege? Yes. yes. I mean, a privilege. You talk about a privilege. Under the Old Testament, the, the high priest alone could go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement one day a year to atone for the people. One time with all these sins confessed. But you and I as children of God have the right to step into the Holy of Holies where God is 24-7 any time we want to to come to the Lord and ask Him to do great and mighty things for us. Is that a privilege no other group of people have ever had in history? 
Yes, it is. Why in the world don't we go in there more often? Why don't we go into that throne and bring our petition to the king and see him do the great and mighty things he says he will do? I guess because we were just like I was. I didn't know I could do that. Nobody ever told me this. But when you learn that you can, then you will begin to do that. Then he says, if you do all these things, if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High, and you say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, and my God in Him will I trust, then he says what he will do. Start with verse 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the Norseland pestilence. Who do you think the, the fowler is? The devil. He will deliver you from the devil and from the Norseland pestilence or the raging disease. You will not ever have to have these things. He says in verse 4, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. The truth of the Word of God, when you begin to hide these words in your heart, they will absolutely set you free. Then he says in verse 5, You will not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the air that flieth by day. So, regardless of whether you're in the daytime or nighttime, and the battle is raging all around you in the spirit world, do you have to be afraid? Absolutely not. The Lord's going to protect you. No evil can come near you and touch you unless you're not walking holy before God. The Word of God is clear in Proverbs 19.23 as well as 1 John 5.18 that as long as you walk holy before God, no evil can touch you. No evil can touch you. And he says that again right here in, in uh, Psalms 91. He will cover you with his feathers and, and, uh, and by verse 5 says, And you shall not be afraid for the terror, of course that terror comes from the devil, that comes about by nightfall, or the arrows that flies by day. Now, have you ever heard of a, uh, any kind of an arrow that the devil would shoot? A fiery dart? Oh, where did we read that? Anybody know where that's found? Ephesians 6.16, that's right. A fiery dart from the devil. When can, a, when can the devil shoot a fiery dart at you? He can shoot them at you anytime he wants to, but if you've got your shield of faith up and it's totally protecting you, can they get through to you? No, they cannot. But now if you let your shield of faith down due to some kind of a sin, what's going to happen? He's going to get you. That fiery dart's going to come right over that shield or right around that shield. And if you walk in sin, it will get you. And it will make you sick and afflict you. Then he says, verse 6, Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. What is the reward of the wicked? All these things, sickness and disease, comes upon all these people. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation. Let's see what he says in the next verse there. There shall how much evil befall you? No evil, none. There shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come near your dwelling. 
Do you like that? What's it all based around? Obedience. Walking in obedience to the Word. Now, I, w- I love it to think that I don't have to be concerned about the devil coming to my house, that there's not going to be any evil coming in there, because we're going to walk holy before God. When you walk holy before God, is this going to take learning how to talk with your mouth? Is this going to take learning to control the words that come out of your mouth? Absolutely. You will have to learn to speak words of faith and words of, words of purity and holiness if you want to walk with no sickness and no disease in your house. You'll have to do that. And in verse 11, he says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, how many of you like that to think that if you're walking holy before God, he's going to send a couple of big, nice beings of grandeur to walk along beside you to keep you free? Do you think you'd like that? I can't think of anything I'd rather have than a couple of two or three of these big boys walking along beside me. Can you, Joel? Uh, if, if those guys are walking along beside you, in front of you, behind you, on each side of you in the spirit world, how many devils can get through to you? None. That's right. None. They can't touch you. Now, as long as you're claiming God's Word, see Psalms 103, verse 20 says, The angels of God hearken to the Word of God spoken in the earth today. Who is it that's going to speak the Word of God in the earth today? We are. That's absolutely right. Now, so if you go about speaking the things of the world and the evil things of the world, then all that will not work for you. Then he says that he'll bear, up, bear you up in your hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. And verse 13 says, You shall tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shall you trample underfoot. Isn't it nice to think we can just walk on the devil? Mm -hmm. He cannot touch you unless you give him legal right. You can trample on him. And then he says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now then, if you call upon the Lord, will he answer you? Did he say he would? Okay, if you call upon the Lord and he will answer you, why is it... Let me ask this question. I I do want to show of hands. I want everybody in here that knows that they've heard the authoritative, audible voice of God in your... At least it sounded like he was talking to you, not just speaking in your spirit, not speaking you to the Word, but you heard somebody speak to you that you knew was God and it sounded audible. How many of you have heard that voice? Praise the King. That's great. Several of you. That's good. I used to never ask that question. And, in fact, years after I began to hear God speak to me in an audible voice, it was years before I told anybody. And then, here a while back when Bill Gothard and I got together and the Lord healed all them people for him, and he said, Thurman, I hear you on your tape saying you've heard God's audible voice. He said, I've never heard that. And he said, I don't know of anybody that ever has besides you. I said, well, what a shame. So we get in a car down there one day, and, and uh, Bill says, hey, there's three men in here besides me. And what, not one of them wasn't me. Three other men besides him. He knew I'd heard the audible voice of God. He said, I met this guy here that says he's heard God speak to him several times. 
Have any of you men in this car ever heard God speak in an audible voice? Two of the three immediately, right? yeah, I have, I have. He said, amazing. You guys, I mean, here you guys are really not even working in the ministry. You've heard God. He said, yeah, I'm running one of the biggest ministries in the country, and I don't ever hear from God like that. Well, what a shame. But, like I told Bill, I said, Bill, I don't want you to feel bad, nothing like that. So maybe me and these other guys, maybe we're a little hard-headeder, and it takes an authoritative voice to get our attention. Maybe you just hear through the Spirit so simple, and you always obey, so God don't have to speak to you in an audible voice. You ever stop to think? Maybe that's true, right? I don't know. But I will say, I'm glad he's spoken to me in an audible voice, aren't you? For the ones of you that have heard. Now, how many of you know you've heard God speak through the Spirit to you? Everybody has. Yeah, everybody technically has. You may not have recognized it, but you'll... In other words, a lot of times, especially ladies that say, I just had a hunch I was supposed to go visit so-and-so. Just a hunch. No, it was no hunch. That was the Spirit speaking to you. Or I'm just driving down the road, and all of a sudden I just... My conscience said I need to go back to town and get something. Not when you're conscious. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's what it was. Now, we've all heard God like that many times. Many times. You know, you're driving down the road, and all of a sudden you're, you're getting ready to go do something. You say, boy, I want to make sure I don't forget to take this with me when I go. And you jump out in your car, and you get almost to the end of the driveway, and something says you forgot so-and-so. You didn't hear an audible voice, but the thought. You said, oh, man, I'm glad I thought of that. No, you didn't think of that. That was a spirit speaking to you until you forgot something. Turn around and go get it. And you think it's your own thought. It's not. It was God speaking to you. He's doing that through your spirit. Does he say if you call unto him, he will answer you? Yes, he does. So if he says call unto me and I will answer you, maybe we ought to call on him more often, reckon? And ask him what our problems are and he'll answer. And then he says, with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. So how long should every Christian live? Long, healthy life. Huh? Oh, I'm agreeing with this woman up here on the front row. 120, yeah. 120 years. And 120 years, and the Lord also says in Psalm 103, verse 5, He renews our youth daily like the eagles. So if the Lord renews the church, the bride of Christ, if He renews our youth daily like the eagles, don't you think we should start claiming those promises? So we start claiming them every day. Guess what? Instead of being weak and worn out when you get to be 80 or 90, you can still be strong when you're 80 or 90. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to be strong and be able to go and do what I want to do. I like to know no realms of weakness or anything like that. I like to be able to go do what I want to do. You can only do it if you claim the Word of God. Now, here a while back, my son, we were out here, and there was an older gentleman, which he's about four years older than me, and... Uh, Tim was working him out, and I come up there, and I kind of slapped him on the back. I've known him for 25 years. Called his name. I said, how are you doing? Oh, he said, Thurman, he's sitting on that platform. He said, I'm old and wore out, and I just can't hardly make it. I said, your problem's in your mouth. I said, you need to start speaking right. Oh, he said, Thurman, you get as old as me, you'll understand. I said, old as me? How long? How old do you think I am? Well, he said, you've got to be at least 15 or 20 years younger than me. I said, you think so? He said, sure. He said, look at you. You go run, you build this building, you do all this stuff. I said, what would you say if I told you I'm... I said, how old are you? He t said, I'm... At that time, he was 69. I said, 
what would you say? I told you I'm just four years younger than you. He said, there ain't no way. I said, yeah, I'm just four years younger than you are. I said, so I'm 65. So I, I said, I can go do anything I want to do. I can do anything I want to do. And I said, the Lord said I could do it. So I believe it. So you want to live there? You want to live in divine health? You're going to have to do it God's way. Learn how to do several things. Learn how to read the Word. Learn how to walk holy before God. Learn how to pray. Learn how to fast and pray. Learn how to eat right. Learn how to exercise right. And whatever you do, make sure you hide all these promises in your heart. And then walk in obedience to those promises. And when you do, you can live to be an old, healthy person. Praise the Lord. Okay. We're going to close it out today. It's 5 o'clock. We're going to pray for anybody and everybody. Father, in the name of Jesus, first of all, Lord, I want to ask you to bless us. You're the healer. You're the deliverer. And I ask everybody that comes up here, Father, for you to convict them and show them and reveal to them where their sin is, where they've missed it. Maybe even just the sin of unbelief of these mighty promises we've talked about today. And Lord, as they repent of those sins and get right with you, May they confess all their faults, walk holy before you, repent of unbelief, and then, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to heal every one of them and bless them abundantly as they go forth. And may you use all these people that have received healing from you and those that have come to hear your word, may you use them in a mighty way to bring such glory and honor to your kingdom because only you're worthy to do these things. And we're so grateful for your word. Now, Father, thank you for blessing us with the word today. And use us mightily as we pray for the people today. In Jesus' name, amen.